Get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, save, retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Time now for the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Hope you had a great weekend at 7.01. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. I'm Randy Carriker and Michelle Smallman, good morning. Good morning, Randy. How you doing? I'm doing good. Didn't like the rain yesterday, but I guess we needed it for the lawns and stuff like that. I don't know about you. My lawn definitely needed, needed yeah, that rain. Mine's kind of dead. So is mine. Mine kind of looks like hay right now. Yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> but, so the, the rain was good. It, it's good to have a little moisture in the air this morning. And it also helps cool things down a little bit from 100 to 75 or 80 recently. So that's all good. And the Cardinals start the all-star break. So tonight, the Home Run Derby here on 101 ESPN. Albert Pujols participating. And then tomorrow should be a lot of fun with Miles Michaelis being added to the squad. And he'll join... Ryan Helsley and also Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado apparently going to L.A. but not going to Dodger Stadium because of a bad back. How long has he had it? Oh, about a week back. Very good, Randy. I was wondering if we would have a dad joke in there this morning. I appreciate that. Uh, You know, there have been some comments Nolan Arenado kind of battling through a little bit of back pain. So I know that he probably feels like being an all-star is is a great honor, but this guy's got a different goal in mind, and he needs to take care of his health. So uh, glad to see that he's doing that, but thrilled for Miles Michaelis, who is so Mm -hmm. deserving of this nod as an all-star. He's had an unbelievable season up to this point. He's been great. And the Cardinals, over the weekend, before a rainout yesterday, dominated the Reds. They outscored them 18-6, scores of 7-3 and 11-3. Donny, Donny baseball, three for six with four RBIs over the course of the two games. And every starter, one through nine, got a hit on Saturday. Saturday was just an explosion. And I'm glad to see the Cardinal offense uh, getting a little bit of a surge before the break. And I'm glad to see that they were doing what they needed to do and taking care of business versus a lesser opponent before they went to the break, too. Even though the game was postponed yesterday, I fully expected them to get the sweep. And Steven Matz was going to start. And by the way, feel bad for uh, Chris Vonderha, who had another impingement. Drew uh, Verhagen. Oh, Drew Verhagen. Yeah, Yeah. another impingement. And so he was placed on the IL. And so the Cardinals will have Matz available to them once the All-Star break concludes. And that will be on Friday when the Cardinals get started once again. I imagine you're going to see a lot of guys coming back. You're going to get Matt's back. You'll get Harrison Bader back. I, mm-hmm. Yadier Molina, his returns around Dragon. the corner. <laughs> Are you hoping? Are you putting it into the universe? No. <laughs> <laughs> but I think in the second half, you're going to see a different more of what we thought would be the complete so. version of the St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah, and as we reach the All-Star break, the Cardinals a half game behind Milwaukee for first in the Central. They're a half game ahead of San Francisco for the final wild card spot and essentially, for all intents and purposes, tied with Philadelphia for the final wild card spot. 
And at the beginning of spring training, Michelle, we remember Ali Marmol telling the media, it would be a disappointment if we don't win the World Series. That was mm-hmm. the quote. It would be a disappointment if we didn't win the World Series, unquote. So with that being the case and the Cardinals being where they are, and we want to hear from people throughout the course of the morning, what's your level of faith that the Cardinals and their fans won't be disappointed by not winning a World Series? Are we doing a 1 through 10 scale? Are we? Yeah, let's do that. Okay, okay. Um, so one being, I would be severely disappointed, or, or not disappointed at all, mm-hmm. meaning we're talking confetti, right? And yeah. then 10 being, the panic bus is revved up, the world's falling apart, mm-hmm. everyone needs to be fired. Yeah. I think I'm firmly at a five right now. And I know that that sounds like, oh, of course you're right in the middle, but the Cardinals have endured so many injuries and they're only a half game behind the, the Brewers to take the division. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to get healthier in the second half, and I think that the front office, at least they better, go out and get some pitching help, and we may be looking at a team with a different complexity heading into the second half. Mm-hmm. Now, do I think that they're better than the Dodgers? No. Do I think they're better than the Yankees? No. There's a handful of teams I don't think they're better than right now, but as we know, if they can get hot in the second half, I think that they have a legitimate shot to get in the playoffs and make some noise. As somebody who said on these very airwaves in August of 2011 and August of last year that there was a 0% chance of the Cardinals making the playoffs, one of those years the Cardinals won the World Series. The other year they went on a 17-game winning streak to make the playoffs. My level of faith in the Cardinals in terms of making the playoffs is zero. So my level of disappointment would be... uh, I guess a ten, a ten, yeah. Wait, and you don't think they're going to make the playoffs? No, just in terms of the World Series. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. okay. And so, if, if they don't win the World Series, will Randy be disappointed? No, because like you said, not only are the Dodgers and Yankees are better, but the Mets are better, the Braves are better, the Phillies are, are yeah, no Phillies are right anymore. there. And then you get to the American League. Heck, look at the Baltimore Orioles and the and the Seattle Mariners right now. Now, that's right now. That's on July 18th, but. I, I won't be happy if the Cardinals don't win the World Series, but I'm also rational enough to say that, so, especially a first-year manager, I think he's going to be a little fired up at the beginning of spring training and maybe not have a real understanding of how hard it is to win a World Series. So I won't be disappointed if the Cardinals don't win the World Series because I'm, I'm rational enough to recognize that only one team does. I appreciated Ali Marmol's attitude when it comes to saying that out loud because that's what all fans are saying. That's Mm -hmm. what all fans are thinking. And if that's not your expectation to win, if you're heading into the season saying, well, we're going to give it our best shot, you're not going to have that that attitude needed to go out and be a champion. That's the attitude Mm -hmm. that the manager needs to take and that hopefully permeates throughout the clubhouse. If we're not winning this thing at the end, it's a disappointment. We're that good. So I appreciate that he was brave enough to put it out there to the the public, what he's probably saying internally. But you mean to tell me that you think that there's a 0% chance that Tyler O'Neill in the second half could uh, continue to be healthy and go on a run and totally change the Cardinal offense? No, I'm not talking... I'm just going to run through some things. Okay, sure. Okay, you think that could happen? Yeah, can I just do one thing? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Uh, Do I think there's a chance that in a seven-game series the Cardinals can beat the Mets four out of seven? No. Okay. With Scherzer and DeGrom. Well, that's really all that I, I I don't even need to. I was going to go through Yadi and Bader about the spine and the defense being back. Right. I was going to go through all of these things. So we'll just save some time then and say, no, you don't think any of those things will matter. What if they go out and they fortify their rotation and get some pitching? Then that'll be different. And again, we're sitting here on July 18th. The trade deadline is two weeks from tomorrow. If the Cardinals go out and find themselves a starting pitcher and a relief pitcher, 
then and, and it's got to be a solid quality start every time starting pitcher. It's got got to be one of those guys. If they can get one of those guys, then that changes the complete complexion of the team. Because one of the reasons that they didn't win two out of three against the Dodgers, we talk about the bullpen game. Well, the reason that you had to have a bullpen game is because you didn't have enough starting pitching depth. So if the Cardinals can go out and find themselves a starting pitcher that they can count on to, let's just put it in these terms, to go out and win game three of a playoff series. If they can get that guy, then my opinion will change. What about when they go out and they secure Juan Soto, Randy? That's going to change all of our opinions. Well, that's three pennant races in a row that he will be playing for the Cardinals. Now, the question that I would have there, and we'll talk about this later in the show, is Juan Soto, great as he is, and he is great, but is he going to be more effective for you? Is he going to be the difference for you so that he's so much better than the departed Dylan Carlson that you are able to win a playoff series? Because you aren't getting him if you don't give up Dylan Carlson. And Jordan Walker, likely. Yeah, I, I think the, the my, my impression is that the Nationals are more, and obviously they're going to ask for Jordan Walker, but they want major league ready guys. They want guys that can... When they make the trade, they want guys that can play in the majors. Now they're going to get five players for one. So, and there's only two teams, three teams that can really go out and get him. And I don't know if those teams have the combination of minor leaguers, young major leaguers that they can. And this is the Yankees, Dodgers, Mets. Do those teams eat, have five young players that they can trade that wouldn't affect their ability to win their division and, and win the pennant this year? Probably not. I, now, listen, the Cardinals are in a, a unique position because they have the capital to do it. It's against everything we know about their personality to go out and give out not only guys that they like at the major league level, but to empty the tank when it comes to prospects. It's yeah. it's kind of the antithesis of a John Mosellock move. But this is a special player, and this is a season that they have circled as this is the time to go for it. Is Juan mm-hmm. Soto the answer to going for it? No, absolutely not. No, they need <laughs> because pitching. you still need pitching. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, uh, the Cardinals did uh, have the draft last night. Major League Baseball. Congratulations to Jackson Holiday. Yes, Jackson Holiday. Matt Holiday's son, Jackson Holiday, first overall to the former St. Louis Browns, now Baltimore Orioles, and so he'll play for the O's. The Cardinals drafted Connor Zerpe, a left-hander out of and a left-handed side armor out of Oregon State. And he is a guy that has just an absolute ton of charisma. He had a great last year of college baseball. And when Randy Flores, the Cardinal scouting director, introduced uh, Jerpe, he said, hey, this is a guy that could make it through quickly. What does he have to do, Randy Flores, to make it through the system quickly? The way Gary LaRock, our farm director, says is that the player will let you know when he's ready for the major leagues. And so I think I could put some benchmarks uh, out there, but he would have to meet those. You know, Gary LaRock talks about playing to the level of the league. But something that we really have to keep in mind is that with the draft being this late and there being a gap between his last outing and today, you really have to get him into the system and find out what his readiness is like. You know, how much rest has he gone? Has he thrown? Has he st- has he gone on the mound? You know, he has probably one of the most innings pitched in, in a selected pitchers so far. So how much more can he throw? What does that do to set him up for his workload next year? Uh, it's a long-winded way of saying uh, what he has to do depends on how ready he is and then what the hitters tell us about what he needs to do for his next step. And Zerpi, I asked him later, Michelle, 
how close he is to being able to throw. And he said, hey, I, I can throw. I said, mm-hmm. so if you sign, you can throw right away. He said, yep, no problem. Now, if you've seen the highlights or you do see the highlights, the Cardinal or MLB Network did a great job. They had a side-by-side of Zerpe's motion and John Tudor's motion, mm. and they're identical. And if you've watched Chris Sale pitch, similar to Sale, although he's a little bit lower than Chris Sale with that funky arm angle. Yeah, it's it's been natural my whole career. Honestly, I remember people in Little League saying, man, that guy's got a funky arm action. So um, just natural, you know. So um, obviously the effectiveness plays plays without the, the velocity, obviously. So um, that was never a worry for me. I know throwing hard something you can always develop and work hard at, and everyone wants it. So it's obviously something I want as well. But uh, I think just, just from proving how the velocity – doesn't need to be there for how effective the fastball plays is something that I've always always um, had confidence in and the consistency of it throughout this season was um, next level compared to last season as well so um, just planning on keep doing that and staying consistent with it so when the Cardinals made the pick last night MLB Network had a side-by-side of Zerpe and John Tudor mm-hmm. and their arm angle is almost identical and then Greg Amzinger came back on he said you showed that and St. Louis is going out of their minds right now I literally had goosebumps on my arms did you from watching it and I texted Greg I said yeah yeah we're all going out of our St. minds here going nuts. absolutely well this guy's got a great resume Randy he I was reading Derek Gould this morning and Jerpy he has a school record at Oregon State 161 batters he struck out in 103 and a third innings he's won several national pitcher of the year awards this is a great pick for the Cardinals for an organization that does pretty good at scouting young pitching. This is, a, I think, a slam dunk for them, and I'm really excited to see him. Now, question for you, mm-hmm. because his name is pronounced Zerpe, right. but there's an H in front of the J. The H is silent. Is this a superfluous H? Yes, it is. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, and the Cardinals are good at that. They signed Johanny Peralta. He mm-hmm. was a superfluous. Right. superfluous. They have a uh, superfluous N in Kisner, K-N-I-Z. That's right. That's right. So, yeah, they're good at getting those superfluous letters in there. I just know that you probably miss saying superfluous H so, with Jahani Peralta gone. And um, I thought when they drafted this guy and I checked how to pronounce his name, I was like, oh, Randy will love the silent yeah. H. And it, it's amazing. And I don't think the Cardinals would do this, by the way, because they have a ton of left-handers. And it would depend on what it takes to get uh, a guy that they get in a trade. But again, MLB Network suggested that by the end of this year, the guy could be working out of the Cardinal bullpen. I don't think they would start his clock that fast. I don't think that he'll get here and into the bullpen that quickly. But the fact that he's capable of getting here that quickly is what's exciting. Yeah, the comp for me would be Marco Gonzalez, maybe next year. Mm. Nothing wrong with that. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and we're off and running here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, start one, bench one, cut one on a Monday morning on Carriker and Smallman. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. Character and Smallman. Solid athlete, solid arm. Start one. Warm up. You're going in. Bench one. Mediocre. Hit the shower. Cut one. You're off the team. I do head. What? It's start one, bench one, cut one on Character and Smallman. Let's get those texts into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 for start, start one, bench one, cut one. Michelle, as I was texting with Greg last night, he's been saying ever since we started doing these shows together, he, Greg on MLB Network and us here at 101 ESPN, he was saying 
he wants the MLB draft to be an event like the NFL draft. Yeah. Last night, they're at LA Live. It's huge. They've got a great stage. They've got a huge crowd. Players are on hand. And he texted me. He said, this is what I've always wanted. Oh, so good. start one, bench one, cut one. The MLB draft, the NBA draft, the NFL draft. I'm still going to start the NFL draft because collectively I don't think there's a draft that we care about more than the NFL draft. And I think that they just have such an advantage with college football because we're all so locked in on Saturdays that we get invested in these players and Mm -hmm. we're just more hyper aware, I think, of a lot of these players than we are the other two. Um, I'm going now the MLB draft yesterday was fun, but I think they need to do that for a couple more mm-hmm. years for them to get and continue to build on what they they have right now. So I'm going to bench the NBA draft and I'm going to cut the baseball draft. I'm going to do the exact same thing and for the exact same reason because I do think that the MLB draft while we liked what we saw last night, I think there's a couple of things working against it. Number one, we don't know most of the players. Right. We, we were fortunate because we knew of Matt Holiday's son and you knew of some former major leaguers' sons that participated last night, and we won't see them for a while. In the NFL, we're going to see that first pick in the draft right away, unless he happens to get taken by the Rams, uh, the, <laughs> the St. Louis Rams. So right. I, I will start the NFL draft. I'm going to bench the NBA draft. And the NBA draft is close because of the outfits the guys wear. Oh, so fun. The fashions yeah. are the yep. best. And then I'm also going to uh, cut the MLB draft. But I hope the baseball draft can get there. I do, too. Because it was fun yesterday. Yeah, and I think that they could build on it. They made tremendous progress. They did. Okay, Randy, it seems like we do this a lot, but I am going to uh, repackage it a little bit. Start one, bench one, cut one. Former Cardinals editions. Okay, we're going to start with Randy Rosarena, who helped the Rays top the Orioles with a three-run homer yesterday and did some celebratory push-ups. We're going to do Matt Carpenter, who became the 10th player in Yankees history to have at least two games with seven-plus RBI, and he's the first Yankee to do it in the same season since Joe DiMaggio did it in 1940. That's all right. Pretty good company. Or Sandy Alcantara, who's the first pitcher in Major League Baseball history to enter the All-Star break with as many as eight or more inning starts than every other team but his own. He's got (laughs) nine. No other team has more than seven. So start one, bench one, cut one. Sandy Alcantara. Marp or Randy Rosarena? All right, because Sandy Alcantara is doing things that have never been done in baseball before, I'm going to start him. Because Marp is doing things that have never been done in Yankee history before, or one guy, uh, fastest to home, with 13 home runs in 20 games, fastest uh, in home runs in Yankee history to 13 home, fastest in games to 13 home runs. So I'm going to I'm going to bench Marp and then I'm going to cut a Rosarena reluctantly. But the, all the consternation surrounding the the Randy Rosarena success, mm-hmm. and there's two other guys that you would put ahead of yeah. him, former mm-hmm. Cardinals that you'd rather have on the team. Yeah, there's no doubt. In terms of, and I was looking at it from both angles, guys I'd rather have on the team or guys that have just done incredible things yeah. since they left St. Louis. I think in both cases, I start Alcantara, cut Marp, or uh, bench Marp and cut a Rosarena. How about you? Oh, absolutely. Can you imagine Sandy Alcantara being in this rotation right now? What we mm-hmm. might, how different would we feel about this Cardinals team if oh, we man. had Sandy Alcantara dominating? You would have yeah. Bueno, Michaelis, and Sandy Alcantara as your yeah. one, two, three. Feeling pretty good about that. Yeah. Can you imagine, though, opening day of 2018, if the starting outfield would have been Gritchick? Dexter Fowler and Piscotti. No. 
people wouldn't have been pleased. They would not have been happy at all. And I can't imagine, and I, I don't recall people being really unhappy on the day that the Cardinals made that trade for a guy who hit 312 with 37 homers and 124 RBIs the year before, had a 912. OPS. I don't remember people being this mad about that trade. No, I think people were excited at the time because the outfield had been such a carousel and they were trying to stabilize it. Mm-hmm. And it felt like the Cardinals were going for it. That yeah. was a move that felt like they're going out and they're getting a, a known commodity to plug in and get some stability in the outfield. At yeah. least the people that I remember crowdsourcing at the time thought that that was a win for the Cardinals. Yeah. Nobody wants to take back the Goldschmidt and Arenado deals. No, they do not. Definitely do not. <laughs> but they all want to take back that one. You don't win every trade, unfortunately. You don't, and you have to give up good players to get yep. a player that yep. you want. All right, your tech 65780. And uh, Matthew Rocchio, what do you got for us? Start one, bench one, cut one. Best local GM come 2023. Mo Army Lutz. Ooh. Comes 2023. Well, I'm going to go championships. Uh, and so since Mo has been with the Cardinals, they have... They've won two, but they've, since he's been the Pobo or GM, they've got two National League championships. They've been to the finals twice, and they haven't had a losing season. So i got to go with him. And then Army, and then Lutz isn't going to have an opportunity to win a championship before that. So I will cut Lutz. I'm going to go Army. Mm -hmm. I'll start. I'll bench Mo, and I will cut Lutz, strictly because I need to see what Lutz can do. And not that this is nothing against John Mosellock, but I don't think anybody is better at their job than than Doug Armstrong is. Even though we're not pleased with him right now because we missed David Perron, Mm -hmm. I think that at this time next year, we won't even be talking about that move. We'll be talking about Matthew Kachuk coming to town, and Army will have once again played the long game. He does do that pretty well. He does do it very well. Start one, bench one, cut one. A game a game seven World Series starter based on this year, Max Scherzer, Shohei Otani, or Corbin, Corbin Burns. You won. Go for it. Okay. Um, well, I am I know what I'm doing here. I know what I'm doing, too. I think it's kind of obvious. I'm taking Otani. I'm right? starting Otani. Not only is he going to get you the innings, he's going to hit some bombs along the way. So I'm going to start Otani, I'm going to bench Scherzer, and I'm going to cut Burns. I'm going to go with the guy that's been there and done that with Scherzer. I'm going to start him. I will bench Otani and I will uh, cut Corbin Burns. That's a good one, though. That's a really good one. I'm with you, though, with Scherzer. He's a champion. He's a grizzled vet. He's a guy that has been there, done that. But how can you... I just want, I want both. I want the pitching mm-hmm. and the offense. Right. I'm greedy. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Start one, bench one, cut one, subpar coaching edition. Mike Keenan, Jeff Fisher, Mike Matheny. Oh, man. Well, Mike Matheny managed his club to a World Series, so I think you got to cut him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeff Fisher, before he got here. Well, Keenan won a Stanley Cup the year before he got here, and Fisher had been to a Super Bowl. He also won 13 games with Kerry Collins. Yeah, he did. Which I think is underrated how impressive that was. Okay. So, but for their effect on St. Louis, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just zero in here on St. Louis. Because of the residual effect of his stay, both of them have pretty dramatic residual effect. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start Keenan, I'm going to bench Fisher, and I'm going to cut Matheny. Now, what's the terms of this again? Mediocre coaches? Subpar coaching Subpar- edition. So, yeah, it's, you start the worst coach. You start the worst Cuts, coach. Cut the okay. best one. Okay. 
Start the worst coach. Well, I'm going to start someone who doesn't want to go 7-9, and nine, but continues to go 7-9. and nine, And I'm going to start Jeff Fisher. Michelle, he is tied for the all-time league lead in losses by a coach. That's true. And got out just in time to not yep. have that record, yep. which was very smart on his part. So I'm going to start Jeff Fisher. I'm going to bench Mike Keenan, and I'm going to cut Mike Matheny. That's a great move. And by the way, when you look at Mike Keenan's record here, it really wasn't that bad. It's just that he was so despised. Yeah, the, the record and the acquisitions were not bad. Most of the players from this, the President's Trophy winning team, he had acquired. But he got rid of our guys. Yeah, exactly. I like this one right here. Cardinals nicknames the White Rat, Uncle Charlie, Simba. Mm, All boy. very good choices. Great. Uh, okay. Everybody calls Whitey, all of his former players and stuff, Rat. So that holds something. Uh, Uncle Charlie is great. I don't know how you choose between these. How did he get the nickname the White Rat? Because of his hair. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Very good. I'm going to start the White Rat. I am going to bench Uncle Charlie, and I'm going to cut Simba. I'm going to start Uncle Charlie because it could be the person and the pitch. Mm -hmm. It's got duality to it. I'm going to bench the White Rat and cut Simba, even though all three are excellent. They're fantastic. Thank you, Matthew. I'm surprised Thank the wizard you, wasn't on there. Yeah, yeah that's because it's so good. You got to make it competitive. Well, you got to make us think, Michelle. You can't give us something that's too easy. You got you to make it a thought process. I mean, we go the man, the wizard, and who is the Big Mac? The machine? The machine. The man. Big Mac's probably better in there. Yeah. If we're talking, well, okay, all, top three cardinal nicknames of all time has to be the man, yes. has to be the wizard, and I think you could have a real debate for that number three. Yeah, Dizzy. So good. Yeah. Got- I, whatever, I mean, I just think just, just I think number three just is the Gas House Gang. The team? That's, yeah. I mean, that's just, that is an elite baseball nickname. Back when whole teams got them like that. But we've had so many, especially back in the day, they've had so many great nicknames in this organization. Pepper Martin. Yeah. Are we missing any any modern ones? That no, are... there are no modern ones. Well, Big Mac's really good. Yeah. Big Mac and the Machine are the most modern ones. I mean, I mean there is a spot in the stadium for Big Mac. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's a good point. It's a pretty pretty yep. iconic nickname with the with the with the marketing and such. Yeah. Oh, somebody says the Big Puma, Lance Berkman. That's a good one too. Yeah. But I just when I when I think Cardinals, I'm thinking more along the lines of iconic Cardinals. Superfluous H. That's a really good one too. It bothers me how much nicknames have decreased in importance in sports. Like, just think about the mm-hmm. NBA. I mean. The, the ones back in the 70s, 80s, you know, mm-hmm. just the best names ever. The Big Dipper, you know. That's, I mean, that, that's just right. that's, a, that's a subpar one for the Iceman. And now we just don't get anything. The round we, mound we, of rebound. The round mound of rebound is fantastic. The, the best one it's ever. Uh, somebody somebody said that uh, Juan Soto's nickname, who we're going to talk about later, <laughs> should be Childish Bambino. And if that doesn't become mainstream, we've all failed <laughs> as a society. <laughs> Thanks very much for your text. Coming up, three things that Michelle and I loved about the weekend on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. All right, we're going to get to three things we loved about the weekend, but we do want to hear from you in the 8 and 9 o'clock, right at the top of those hours. We're going to get to your mic drops. Ali Marmol saying at the beginning of spring training, it would be a disappointment if we didn't win the World Series. So our question to you today is, what's your level of faith that the Cardinals and their fans won't be disappointed? Or what's your level of confidence that they will win the World Series, I guess is another way to put it. All you need to do is hop on the 101 ESPN app and send us your mic drops, and we want to hear from you at 
8 o'clock and at 9 o'clock. But it's time now for three things that we loved about the weekend. Number three. Number three for me, Randy, is Jackson Holiday, son of Matt Holiday, going number one overall in the Major League Baseball draft. And this kid is a stud. He's a prodigy. People knew from the time he was three years old that he was going to be in this position. I, I went down a rabbit hole last night watching videos online of a young Jackson Holiday throwing and absolutely crushing the baseball. It's unbelievable. He is a shortstop, a five-tool shortstop who is so sound defensively. He's a left-handed bat that's going to hit for power. And he he set a national record with 89 hits in 41 games at Stillwater High School while batting 685 with 29 doubles, 6 triples, 17 home runs, and 79 RBI. This kid is going to be a great Major League Baseball player. But when I first found out that Jackson Holiday went number one overall, my very first thought went to his grandpa, Tom Holiday, who we had the great pleasure of speaking to about a month ago during our Dad's Week celebration. And no grandpa out there is more proud of Jackson Holiday than Tom is. And Here's a little story he told us about Jackson and seeing very early on in his life that this kid was going to be a player. We were in a living room. I'm going to say he was two years old, and we had a fish tank, and we were living in Austin, Texas. That's when I was working for the University of Texas. You know, Matt and Leslie would go to dinner, and they dropped Jackson off, so he was so easy. As long as we had a ball and a bat, he would watch – a highlight film that we had from the year before when we won the national championship. He'd watch it, sit there, I mean, completely dead still, not not moving. And then we'd jump up when it would be over, get his bat, and I would flip him little, little golf ball, wiffle balls, and he'd hit them, and he would run around the living room like he was running the base. But the biggest thing he ever did was he hit one one night, and it went right in the fish tank, and he said, Grand Slam. <laughs> awesome. And he's going to be great. It was interesting. Randy Flores last night, the Cardinals scouting director, uh, said that the Cardinals hoped at the beginning of the process this year that Holiday would fall to them at number 22. That You mentioned his <laughs> record-setting year. Yes. He, he goes from maybe a mid to late first-round pick all the way up to number one overall. He might have had the best high school year ever. Unbelievable. And life happens so fast, Randy. You, we remember all those images mm-hmm. of Jackson Holiday uh, with Matt when he was running around clubhouses and the stories about how Matt could call out a player's name and Jackson would mimic his batting yeah. stance. And here he is going number one overall. But just congratulations to Jackson and the entire Holiday family. No doubt about it. Michelle, my number one is, or my number three rather, is how fun it was to watch the leaders at the Open yesterday. And I probably won't watch the live guys during their regular tournaments because it's just too much of a hassle. But a top 10 with DJ and DeChambeau was cool. Jordan Spieth being in the top 10 was right there with those guys. I was rooting for and hoping that Rory McIlroy would win. And I love seeing him lead for most of the tournament. But the overall top 10, the overall leaderboard at the Open is what golf should want and aspire to and it was great entertainment it was great entertainment and i know that we don't love live but we can't deny that it's infused a little bit of drama and some headlines and Mm -hmm. frankly some animosity into golf and that's what sports does right it gives you not only someone to love but someone to hate and a lot of people love to hate watch and so whether you're tuning in to watch guys like Rory McIlroy or you want to hate watch the live guys I think it did bring some more eyeballs to golf yeah I I would say that the rivalries in golf now 
despite Tiger and Phil and despite uh, Bryson and Brooks, the, because of Live, the rivalries in golf now are greater than they, probably they've ever been. They're probably more vitriolic than they've ever been, yeah. and it'll be more fun to watch the majors just to watch guys like that go at it. That was the perfect formula for a good golf tournament. Young players started off rounds mm-hmm. one and two, giving us some good storylines. Then they kind of drop off. You get some big names like Rory and Hovland shooting up in round three, and then again the storylines come right back, and you get a rally in round four, you know in the final day on a Sunday. I mean, you can't you can't build a better formula yeah. and then add in everything with the crazy links course, St Andrews, 150th. That was one of the best tournaments in the of the, of the last few years, no doubt about it. Number two. Well, Randy, number two for me is what happened on Saturday. The Cardinals took it to the Reds 11-3, to and there was a big moment in the second inning by Paul Goldschmidt. The 2-0, out to deep left, it is number 300. Goldie gets number 300, the 153rd member of the 300 Home Run Club. It was his 20th of the season, his first since June 27th, the two-run homer. And as Danny Mack said, 153rd player to w- w- to reach 300 home runs, a major milestone for Goldie. Here are his thoughts on that milestone after the game. It's good to you know hit a homer, help us win, but it's not like it's a goal or anything like that. So uh, you know, glad I could help us win and uh, try to play well tomorrow. The milestone is not my favorite thing from the weekend with Paul Goldschmidt. It's his reaction afterwards that he frankly couldn't care less that he hit 300 home runs. He's like, yep, it was great. Just happy to help the team win. I I wonder what it'll take for him to be a Hall of Famer. And obviously the idea of what numbers get you to the Hall of Fame have changed. I think Jim Edmonds should be in the Hall of Fame. I agree. I, I think if Jim Edmonds had five more home runs, he'd be in the Hall of Fame. Or I guess seven more home runs. But... I think 400 is is a big number, but I think that'll also be a big number for Goldie. But all the All-Star games, Mm -hmm. now the OPS that he's had over the course of his career. His MVP this year will help. (laughs) Yeah, it'll help a lot. So will the championship. Yep, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, so I I would say that Goldie right now is on a pretty good path to the Hall of Fame. Michelle, speaking of the Cardinals, I was down on Miles Michaelis for the last couple of years when he was hurt. And didn't have much confidence in his ability to bounce back the way he has, but he worked his butt off to come back, and it's great to see him named to a second All-Star game. As a replacement, after only nine games in two years, he has a 2.54 ERA in a league-high 19 starts this season. I was disappointed that he didn't make it in the init- to the initial All-Star roster, so him making it, even as a replacement, is one of the things that I loved about the weekend. He has been a stalwart for the Cardinals in the first half. He is. Let's give some round yeah. of applause Good, Miles. for my Miles Michaelis. He uh, and I wonder if he's going to bring the sage to the All Star game. No, I think you just save that for the Cardinals. Okay, he should. Yeah, yeah we're going to need that in the second half. Put it on the Dodger turf. Oh yeah, great call, Juju for the wrong team. Yeah. Also, uh, Lizard King, pretty solid nickname. You know, we're, we're giving we're yep. you know, talking about nicknames. That's pretty good. Yeah, that is a good one. Number one. And my favorite thing from the weekend, Randy, was a video that got widely distributed of one Yachty or Molina. So we got word that Yachty was going to be coming back to the Cardinals at the beginning of August. His rehab is going to start soon. Uh, We don't know exactly where yet those details are going to come. But you know that Yachty is going to come back. And in in enough time, not only for him to help the Cardinals uh, in the the playoff push and hopefully in the the playoffs, but to get that battery record with Adam Wainwright, which was very important. But, you know, there's been 
been a lot of questions about how Yachty's rehab is going to go and if he's going, if and when he's going to be fully ready to join the Cardinals. Well, he's being pretty fiery over the weekend. So mentally, I think that competitiveness from Yachty or Molina is right where it needs to be. So he's the owner of the Vaqueros Bayamon, which is a professional basketball team in Puerto Rico. And he got into it with the referees and actually got ejected during the game. And I would play the sound, but frankly, I don't know what they're saying. So I don't know if it's clear for radio or not. But uh, Yachty, very, very intense in this game. And I have no doubt he's going to bring that intensity back to the Cardinals. So I'm watching the video and I'm thinking, okay, Mark Cuban has nothing on this guy. Absolutely not. Mark Cuban wishes. Wouldn't that be fun, though, to have Mark Cuban owning a team that was playing against Yachty or Molina's team? Oh, that would be awesome. (laughs) But I I want him to bring that back into the clubhouse. You know that Yachty's return is going to get these guys fired up no matter what. But I want him to walk in with that same energy that he had on the basketball court. The way he throws his arm around the the ref too, and mm-hmm. just starts talking to him like almost like almost like a little put him a little chokehold. Like, hey, listen here, buddy. I was like, yeah, he knows how to talk to the officials. I liked that. It was a good move. And Michelle, my number one. We went a long time without the Cardinals giving us sixty cent drinks this season from our friends <laughs> at Mobile on the Run. Now they scored at least six runs in six of their last seven games, including both this weekend to provide a sixty cent drinks. The problem here isn't the offense with the Cardinals. The problem is the pitching. And I know that a lot of people say, oh, the offense needs help. What the the offense needs is to become healthy, and it will get even better, and they'll score more consistently when when they get their guys back. But right now, the offense is humming, and it will get Harrison Bader back, and it will get guys healthy. You'll get Yachty and Tyler O'Neill timed up and ready to go. And again, the trade deadline is two weeks from tomorrow. The Cardinals, it'd be nice to get one of the best players in the game, but what they really, really need is pitching because that's how you win in the postseason. They need pitching badly. So 60-cent drinks are good, though. Yes, they are. I'm surprised you don't have your, your mobile on the run drink today. Didn't, didn't play yesterday. I know, but usually some you, you, you get something. it anyway. Yeah, I get some Propel today. Nice. So that is three things we loved about the weekend on 101 ESPN. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. Uh, we've got Take It or Leave It coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. Michelle, Randy, and Matthew with you. And it's time for Take It or Leave It. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Michelle, this is from Rick Buecher of Fox Sports. He says, a league source says Steph Curry has reached out several times to Kevin Durant, eager to improve his chances of winning a fifth championship and surpassing LeBron James, with whom Curry is currently tied at four titles each. Take it or leave it with Steph pursuing LeBron if LeBron winds up with the Warriors. Oh, wait. Kevin Durant or LeBron? I'm sorry. Uh, Kevin Durant. Okay. Got Durant. it. If, if Kevin Durant winds up with the Warriors, Steph is clearly the driver of the bus. Oh, that's a good one. And I will take that. If he, if he is not only the sharpshooter on the court, but is pulling the GM moves and puppeteering behind the scenes, he's the driver. I would say so. Even yeah. if KD's the MVP, if he's making it happen, he's the driver. Yeah. 
Maybe Kevin has subjugated that ego a little bit and he's not as upset about what Charles Barkley said. I brought this up a couple weeks ago. I think if he goes back to the Warriors that he won't catch as much heat the second time around. I don't think so. A lot of people think it's going to be worse because he's he couldn't get it done in Brooklyn and he has to go back to another championship team in the Warriors and win there or at least attempt to win there. But I think that the Kyrie stuff has been so dramatic and he's so unreliable that a lot of people would say, well, I don't really blame him for trying to get away from that. Yeah, there's uh, this thing called the Drew League in L.A., where NBA players play against a bunch of randos. LeBron played there this weekend, and Kyrie wouldn't even show up. <laughs> he was supposed to show up, and he didn't even show up. He was probably meditating. You, you used unreliable. I think that's a pretty good word for pretty it. Pretty good word. So I've been thinking a lot about college football because it's going to be here before we know it. We're halfway through July. We're going to be talking about college football mm-hmm. in a matter of weeks. And I've been thinking about conference realignment. Take it or leave it. Notre Dame will eventually join the Big Ten. I'm going to take that. Yeah, it just Notre makes Dame too and much sense. somebody, yeah, that'll they'll equal things out. I'm going to take it. You know, they have such a foothold on Chicago geographically. It makes sense from an academic standpoint. It makes sense. I know they want to keep their independent, but I just think in the long run, they know where this is going and that they're going to join the Big Ten. And I don't get the independence because apparently the Big Ten money would be greater than the money they get from NBC. But it just feels like we're special. This is our differentiating factor. We're independent. We're Notre Dame. Yeah. Uh, They've they've got to go to the Big Ten. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, Can I do one other quick one? Of course. Uh, Michelle, take it or leave it. You are picking Pete Alonso and leaving me the field in our bet for the Home Run Derby tonight. I've been struggling with this. I've been struggling with this because I've picked him two seasons in a row, and it's worked out for me, Randy. Mm -hmm. And what happens if you don't pick him? I mean, you can put people in the hospital. That's true, but we also have to spin the wheel, which I don't want to do. But um, it's hard for me to pick a guy who I watch Stubby Clap just absolutely take to the ground. And it's hard for me to pick against number five. Mm -hmm. Because even though Pete Alonzo is built for this and has the, the history to bear out why I should choose him again... Wouldn't it be so Albert to go out there and win it? It would be In his so final Albert. season? It just feels like... That's another reason, Randy, and I know that there's no metric behind this, but I'm not counting out the Cardinals in the postseason because of Yachty and Albert, because it would just be so Cardinals and mm-hmm. so Albert Pujols to find a way to win it in his final season. Just it, like we never thought he'd find his way back to St. Louis, and here he is doing it and taking off milestones along the way. Yeah. It would just be... It would... Every fan base in the country is saying is going to say this if the Cardinals make the playoffs. Oh, of course they're going to go right. on a run and win it yeah. in Albert Pujols' last season. I don't think he's going to beat Kyle Schwarber in the first round, and I'm glad because that home run derby wears you out a little bit. Not as much as it used to, but it still does, and I want him to take as few swings as possible tonight. I kind of think Schwarber is going to win this thing. Schwarber? Yeah. He's been, I mean, he's got the power yeah. to do it. The story would be Corey Seager coming back to L.A. and winning it, but... Uh, Schwarber, man, big left-handed hitter in that ballpark. And Alonzo's ridiculous in these things. Uh, I'm proposing right now, close to the pin, Pujols' first-round home runs. Whoever Whoever's furthest off has to spin the wheel. I think we should try to pick a winner. Yeah, I agree. I, 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 don't, I don't see why we don't do we, multiple ones. We can have a quick draft here <laughs> later on in the show. <laughs> Maybe what's on tap? Yeah, we'll do that. We'll okay. have our draft. Yeah. There you go. All right, what do we got on the text line, Matthew? Take it or leave it. The NHL should figure out how to move Detroit back into the Western Conference where they belong. What league? NHL. Oh, um. I would love it. Yeah, I'll take that. Yeah. Rivalries are good. Yeah. Yeah. So they got less travel. Has that helped them? No. No. So bring them back. That's the one. 
going back to conference realignment, I think that in the long run, it's going to be more of like an NFL setup, you know, and which mm-hmm. is going to be exciting. But you're losing all of those those natural geographic rivalries. Right. Or at least you're displacing a lot of them, yeah. which is going to suck. But it was pretty stupid when the Rams were in the NFC West. You know, the oh, NFL yeah. does that too. Well, now yeah. it worked out for him. Yeah, I guess the plan was there. Yeah, come on. We should have seen the writing on the wall. They kept them in the NFC West. Hasn't the NFC, hasn't the NFC West always had some kind of janky team? That's when they like moved here, so when the NF, when the Rams moved here, the NFC West was the, the Falcons, Panthers, right? yeah. Saints, Falcons, Rams, yeah. and Niners. The it had one West, West team. It's always had some yeah. team, east, you know. Yeah. Way east of the Mississippi or, or close to the Mississippi. Yeah. It's ridiculous. East of the mountains, if you will. Take it or leave it. Cardinals prospect Mason Wynn throwing 100.5 miles per hour from short shop shows he should still be considered a two-way prospect. Take it. Yeah. I'm going to take it, too. That was insane. Yeah. He's got a pretty good arm. <laughs> everything about that. I feel sorry for the first baseman, though. Like I, because him and Jordan Walker talked about mm-hmm. how he was going to do that because they—that's the one place where they track it. But like, did he tell the first baseman, "Hey, by the way, make sure you get this in the webbing, or I'm going to break your hand"? Like, that's just dangerous, my man. <laughs> and, and off of that, take it or leave it. By 2025, there will be more two-way players than just Shohei Otani. Oh 2025? yeah, 2025. 2025, yeah. three more years. Absolutely. There was another one drafted last night. There's Michael Lorenzen, basically fits that bill, although he doesn't get to hit much because of Otani mm-hmm. in the American League. But, yeah, guys are being drafted now as two-way players. And versatility is a huge part of baseball now. Yeah, I'll, t- I'll take it, but I don't think there's going to be many. Yeah, probably not more than five. Because once you once you separate yourself with one skill set, they teams tend to focus on that. And they don't want you to injure yourself. And they don't want you to play too much. Otani's kind of a unicorn. And pitchers in America, once you start pitching, you just don't hit anymore. Exactly. I think Mason Wynn's a great, good example of that because, I mean, clearly if he has that kind of ability, we've seen that the Cardinals are taking him away from the pitching mound and, and specializing him at shortstop because it just makes a lot more sense for them to do that overall. Like Michelle said, you be a little more risk-adverse. I think it makes sense. So I, it's going to happen, but it's not going to be that common. Ryan Helsley was a good hitter. I was talking to him when out at Topgolf when mm-hmm. we did the thing. And he was actually a good hitter when he was in high school. And I said, could you hit now? And he said, no, no chance. Because <laughs> he hasn't done it? Right. Take it or leave it. Yachty and Wayna will not break the Lolich and freehand record. Oh, leave it. I'm They're gonna, breaking yeah, it. I'm going to leave that too. Come on now. Let's be positive. He's coming back in August. Okay. You want some positivity? Take it or yeah. leave it. The Cardinals trade for Soto and pitching help. Take it. You know, I'm going to go ahead and leave it. I don't think Juan Soto is in the cards. <laughs> Get it? But uh, no, I just, I. it would be the biggest shock of my professional career. Wow. Yeah. Maybe not the biggest, but I'm trying to think if if there was anything that might. I would say the biggest shock in my professional career up until this point is that Albert went to Anaheim. I did not expect him to go to the Angels. Hmm. I thought he was going to stay here because the money was there and the legacy was there. I did not expect him to leave, even despite the rumors. I just thought when it came down to it, he would be here. But this would be up there because this is so against... The Cardinals mantra. It kind of is, yeah. Yeah, that would. But if you get Soto and Corbin, what's your pitching help? What's happening right now? What is happening? <laughs> Thanks, right Matthew. Now? Thank you, Randy. Coming up next on 101 ESPN, your mic drops and your texts. What's your level of faith that the Cardinals will win the World Series? Ali Marmol saying at the beginning of spring training, it would be a disappointment if we didn't win the World Series. So 
Right now, as we sit here at the All-Star break, will you be disappointed if the Cardinals don't? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. A fresh perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's Character and Smallman's Fresh Take. Brought to you by Schnucks Rewards. It pays to shop at Schnucks. Download the Schnucks Rewards app today. So what's your level of faith that the Cardinals will not disappoint you by not winning the World Series? And we'd love to have you weigh in with the mic drop feature on the 101 ESPN app brought to you by Rhino Shield. And of course, we have our Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Michelle, I have, and by the way, we're, we're basing this on Ali Marmol's statement at the beginning of spring training. The quote, it would be a disappointment if we didn't win the World Series, unquote. For me, it would be a shock if the Cardinals did win the World Series. So my level of faith that the Cardinals won't be disappointed is right there at the bottom. Because I think if if you're thinking the Cardinals can win the World Series, if you're following along with Ali Marmol, I, I, I won't say you're being led astray, but I'm just saying that you're you're bound for disappointment. Yeah, the root of all heartache is expectation. Mm -hmm. So you're keeping your expectations low so that you don't have heartache. Exactly, right. Smart. Now, I'm right there at a five because the team is only a half half game back in the division. It's a very winnable division. They should take it in the second half when they're healthy. But I'm there at a five because I need to see what happens at the deadline when it comes to pitching help. If they go out and they make some moves and I really feel like they've put themselves in a better position in the second half to build upon what they already have and they're getting healthy, I'll feel more confident. Now, do I think that there's probably... What did you say, Randy, at the beginning of the season? There's seven or eight teams that are better than the Cardinals right now? Yeah, six or seven. I I think they're the seventh or eighth best team. Yes, I was going to say there's probably about five or six teams that I think are are truly better than the Cardinals right now. But do I think they can improve in the second half? Yes. So I'm there at a five when it comes to confidence that they'll win the World Series. All right. Your texts and mic drops to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. What do we got on the text machine? From the 314, I'll be disappointed but not surprised. Steven Matz was never going to be enough to address a known problem with the Cardinals pitching. Yeah, and beyond Matz, there were things that the Cardinals could have done during spring training in free agency that would have helped them out. I I advocated for going out and getting a guy like Zach Davies, who has a 3.94 ERA for a bad Arizona team. He's given them 80 innings. And if the Cardinals had a guy that had given them 80 innings and a 3.94 in the absence of Jack Flaherty, who probably will not be back, and then Steven Matz, they would have been a whole lot better off. And they would have been a whole lot better off with Zach Davies starting the fifth game of the season rather than Jordan Hicks. Yes. But when Al, and again, though, when Ollie made that statement, he was thinking he was going to have a healthy Jack Flaherty, yes, he which did. changes a lot of things. Yeah. From the 314, Randy, there is no shot the Cardinals win the World Series. They can't even run away with what is one of the worst divisions in the majors, and they can't beat winning teams. They do have trouble beating winning teams. There's no doubt about that. I think Milwaukee is a representative team. Now, they've had their injury issues with the starting rotation, but I don't think you have to run away with a division to be. As a matter of fact, I kind of rather be in a race. It, my, my playoff experience is that I, I'd rather be in a race than run away with, with the division. Because that intensity is there? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, yeah, I totally get the idea of not being able to beat winning teams. And that goes back, Michelle, to what we're talking about with the pitching as well. So 
this is going to be a fun second half because every game's going to matter. There's going to mm-hmm. be a sense of urgency the entire time, which is going to be really fun. Yeah. I think the correct thing to be bothered by with this division is that they're only in the third wild card while having so many games against the bottom of this division. You know, it's not, they shouldn't necessarily be running away from the Brewers when you look at, when you compare rosters. They should, though, be stacking up so many wins against this bad teams and being better against well, the 500 teams that they shouldn't be just in the third wild card and spot. And their That's schedule. The yeah, their their schedule against the Reds, Pirates, and Cubs is dramatically backloaded to the second half. They should dominate the second half. Let's get a mic drop here from Randy. I'm 101 ESPN. I have zero confidence the Cardinals are going to win the World Series. I just don't know how you explain the inconsistent hitting year after year after year. It doesn't seem to matter who they bring in, who they ship out. It's the same. It's just unexplainable to me. I hope they make a move to solidify the pitching, which would boost my confidence a little, but the inconsistent hitting just still doesn't uh, add up for me. To be a consistent offensive juggernaut, like the Yankees are, you just have to hit a ton of home runs because mm-hmm. you can't put together enough hits. For the the Cardinals, I, I've thought for a long time the '80s Cardinals up until the last three or four years, they could have competed with anybody. But now, because of the velocity and the bullpens, it's really hard to string together hits. So you need to have your power hitters hot. And this is another part of missing Tyler O'Neill. To be consistent, you have to hit home runs. And when Arenado, so Goldie's awesome in April, right? Arenado's awesome in May. Goldie's awesome since, but Arenado's had his ups and downs. And you haven't had Tyler O'Neill for half of your games. That's right. You need to hit more home runs for the offense to be more consistent. It would be really nice to get those three guys cooking at the same time. Yeah. That would change a yeah. lot of things, I think. No doubt about it. And even if we could get two out of the three, it'd be nice. But I, I still, Michelle go back to the fact that they just haven't pitched well enough. I I agree with the inconsistent offense, but if you score three runs, then you have to have that pitcher that can give you that outing where you only allow two. And the Cardinals have two reliable starting pitchers. Mm -hmm. Right now, Paul Goldschmidt has uh, two home runs in the 35 games in April, March, and July. He has 18 home runs across the 44 games in May and June. I mean, See? the guy that those two months have been ridiculous. But on the back end, on the on the two sides, he's been kind of bad. Right. Let's get one more mic drop, and this is Derek who joins us on 101 ESPN. I think it's telling that both Ollie and Nolan Arenado were talking about whether or not the team was going to be a wild card selection and how they don't want to be a wild card selection versus talking about the World Series last week to the Post-Dispatch kind of gives you an idea of where their confidence level is and conversely where my confidence level is. But I will say it was refreshing to see both those individuals, uh, independent of one another, bring up that they don't want to be a wild card and their eyes are still on the central and Hopefully the front office agrees with them, and hopefully the uh, pitching can come around. I don't know about you, Michelle, but I think, and I think you do agree with me, even if the Cardinals don't make a move, I still think that they, if they're healthy, they should win this division. Agreed. I think that if they don't make a move, we're not talking about them making a deep playoff mm-hmm. run and being World Series contenders, but as is, they should still win the division. Yeah. And we should also note, and nobody wants to be the wild card, but with the new wild card format, there isn't a single wild card game anymore. It's going to be the third best division winner against the last team in, and the best and the second best wild card winners will play each other. Those games will all be played in a three game series. So you actually, it, 
if the Cardinals win the division, it's because they aren't going to wind up with a better record than the Mets or the Dodgers. They're going to be in the same boat as a wild card team. Mm. So uh, unless they, <laughs> uh, unless Arnado gets really, really hot and starts leading them to a lot more victories so that they can beat out the Mets or the Dodgers, it's really not going to matter whether you're the Central Division champion or a wild card team. And they can get knocked out early. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> How much do you care about home field advantage, really? Don't care at all. Yeah, I don't care at all. Not in baseball. No. In fact, it seems like every year the champion is celebrating on somebody else's turf. Good point. So that's the way it goes. Coming up next, we're going to talk some blues and uh, free agency and roster changes with Chris Kerber, the voice of the blues. He's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, and we head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and go to uh, our Voice of the Blues here on your home of the Blues, 101 ESPN. Chris Kerber joins us a week after free agency. Good morning, Kerbs. How you doing? Randy, I'm doing great. How are you? Everything is great. I would assume that with the signing of Nico Mikola yesterday, we're probably looking at the roster of the Blues start training camp with, wouldn't you think? Yeah, I think barring anything uh, unforeseen uh, and it being unforeseen, I don't see it coming. Uh, I I think this is pretty much the roster that's going to be set. Now, we know that there's going to be adjustments and changes, you know, maybe as we get closer, injuries, things like that creep up. But uh, I, I think Doug Armstrong has built his roster to uh, at least uh, get to training camp. Curbs, are you surprised that Vladimir Tarasenko will be a part of that roster? Well, that's a great question now. You, you know, last year I was pretty adamant that he was going to be part of the team, and we had that one nailed pretty well. Uh, I am a little bit, but the reason I say a little bit, Michelle, is you know not having talked to him and, and not really knowing where all that stuff sat. Um, you know, I, I guess a little yes and no. You, you know, one of the challenges with th- that still remained with him, and let's just let's make the assumption that he still wants to be uh, moved or wants to play someplace else. If you make that assumption, he's got a $7.5 million cap hit, which for an 82-point player is a very reasonable uh, cap hit these days. But his salary is only, I believe, at $5.5 million. Typically, when you see a player like that moved, you see them move to a team that is rebuilding, a team that is trying to basically get to the salary cap floor and not have to pay full freight for that. And when you do that, those are typically teams like, most recently, the Arizona Coyotes, the Buffalo Sabres teams that are rebuilding, teams that are just struggling to find their way. Well, if you're Vladimir Tarasenko and you have some control over where you're going to go, why would you want to go to one of those places? So I still see that as being an obstacle to a move. And and because of that, that's why I said I'm only somewhat, because I still think it's a difficult situation to probably move him uh, based on all those different factors. The Blues did a lot of scoring last year, and – for a good portion of the season, their defense left something to be desired. I do think that we got a glimpse into the way the Blues feel again. We got another glimpse into the way the Blues feel philosophically about building a team when it was Letty who was the guy that we was re-signed rather than David Perron. Yeah, I agree with you on that one, Randy. And I, I think it also you, you can also see it as a shift in philosophy as well because, you know, I still think that Doug Armstrong, if, if he really had his druthers, would prefer the size factor 
you know, going and, and, and a little more toughness back there. But having said that, the way this team has changed up front, it's clear that they also need some really good puck-moving defenseman ability. And, you know, look at how Colorado won the Cup. You know, you've seen teams that have won the Cup without the big bruising, you know, uh, in-your-face style. And it's uh, the game is really going to that puck-moving ability, you know, especially from the back end. And if you can't start it and you can't skate it out from your own end, the way teams forecheck uh, – then you're going to have a hard time. And, and frankly, we saw that happen with the Blues at times last year, didn't we? So putting that all on the table, I, I, I think it's clear that they definitely favored shoring up the back end than then keeping David on the roster. And that's just unfortunately the way the business side goes. Curbs, we know that Ryan O'Reilly is a special player, but he had such a connection with David Perron. They had such great chemistry on and off the ice. Do you think that we might see him... I'm just I'm just wondering what he might lose without David Perron part of that equation. Yeah, you know what, Michelle, I've been thinking about that too, and I don't know. Um, I haven't had a chance to talk to Ryan or, or trade messages with him yet. I haven't had a chance to talk to David for that matter either. Um, you know, but yeah, there, there's no doubt going to be a difference. Now, the one thing that we've seen from Ryan O'Reilly in his time with the Blues, no matter who he plays with, he makes them better. I mean, and that is to me the mark of uh, one of the marks of a great player is do you make the people around you better? And no matter who he seems to play with, he seems to make them better. So Ryan's going to adjust. There's no doubt about that. But, you know, but to me, I, I look at the makeup of this roster, guys, and I still believe that if you are going to be a Stanley Cup championship caliber team, from a depth standpoint, I still see a guy, for example, like Brandon Saad on the third line. I think if he's playing regularly up in your top six, you're probably not as deep as you need to be. And that's more of a statement of needed depth than it is about the player that, that Brandon Saad is. So I was, I was kind of, you know, personally as a fan of, of the, the person and the player, bummed not to see David return, um, you know, but this is a, a situation I think similar to what maybe the Blues did with T.J. Oshie when they realized, and then now that's a trade you sure as hell would like to have back, but at the same time, they looked at it and said, we aren't going to be able to afford Tarasenko and Schwartz, you know, if, if we don't make a move like this. And, you know, I, I think in the end, you're just seeing, you know, what the team is, at least what Doug Armstrong is perceiving as a cap casualty. Now, could you have moved dollars around and other things? Yeah, maybe. But um, it's going to circle back to, I guess, not so much Ryan O'Reilly, Michelle, but I think the pressure is now on Jordan Cairo. The pressure is clearly on Robert Thomas. The pressure is clearly on Brandon Saad, on Pavel Butchnevich. Those are the guys that are going to have to not just step up and fill the ice time that David uh, did from a production standpoint, but David had become a pretty solid leader and a good leader in that room, a vocal guy. And and somebody's going to have to fill that role too. Yeah, somebody will have to fill that role. But on the ice curbs, the Blues are really enthusiastic about neighbors and Bolduke. It'll be interesting to see how quickly they can contribute at a high level, and there's pressure on those guys to contribute as well. But they felt comfortable enough to let a guy like Perron walk away because of their confidence in those guys becoming top six forwards. Yeah, and I hope I'm wrong on this, Randy, but I don't think I am, at least at the moment. I just, look, I, I think it's time for Jake Neighbors to step in. And, and Doug Armstrong mentioned this in one of his in one of his comments. It might have been the comments that, that, that he made with Craig Berube at the end of the season, you know. But when you draft a player, and, and you're, you, it's going to take a few years, especially it, it, even when you're drafting in that middle run. I mean, look at even a, at Robert Thomas. Like, very rarely are you seeing a guy like a David Perron, for example, where you're drafting him 27th and he's playing 
and impacting your roster the very next year. It takes a little while. Mm-hmm. And even after taking a couple of years, for example, like it's done with Jake Neighbors, right? Then Doug Armstrong said, you're going to come in, and, and just because you're playing now on the team doesn't mean you're playing in an impactful role. You're going to come in. You're going to you know, go through your growing pains. You're going to earn your ice time. I, I just think that if, if you're going into this year and you're thinking that Jake Neighbors and, and Zach Bolduc, you know, are, are going to fill these holes and, and put you at a championship cup-level winning team, I think that's asking too much. I, I don't think history plays out that way in the National Hockey League. One of them, yes. Both? Unlikely. Now, yeah. again, I hope I'm completely wrong on this, but I, I still think it takes those veteran-natured players. I mean, you guys, look at Colorado. I mean, you, you've got you, – you had Nathan McKinnon in his, what, ninth or tenth year, 11th or 12th year for uh, for Landeskog. It takes experience to win, and, and I think relying on too much youth uh, while needed, and you have to figure it out, and those guys have to get the experience – I think it becomes a bit of a hindrance. I mean, even go back to look at a couple of the mistakes made by Jordan Cairo in the second round. Right. Those are growing pains, but those are growing pains that cost you games. Yeah. Sometimes, and and so you you've got to get that experience mixed in there well with those guys. Curbs, one more thing. Speaking of Colorado, if you would have told me that Nazem Kadri would still be on the market on Monday the 18th, I would have said you're crazy. <laughs> I can't believe that he hasn't been signed. What do you think's going on there? Guys, I'm actually not all that surprised by this. Really? Now, here's wow. the challenge with here, and he well, here's why. One, I the, the, I've seen this happen before with agents and players. Do you overvalue yourself? You know, and and do you, or do you step into a role that that's a, that's a really good spot? Look, Nazem Kadri is a heck of a player. He played well. He shook and and he knocked away a lot of the image that he had, and he won a Stanley Cup. But what also happens now is if you don't get in on some of the early days of free agency, look at all the teams now that are up against the cap. And for Nazem Kadri now to sign with somebody, and he wants to, if you want to go play for a winning team and keep winning, most of those teams have spent their money. They're going to have to make a move to keep you out, or you've got to sign for less. So once a player, like he and Klingberg, Klingberg is a real intriguing one for me. Um the the fact that people didn't sweep in and, and, and kind of find a way to get Klingberg under a contract tells us something as well. So, you know, I'm, I'm not at all surprised. And the challenge is once you wait and once it takes a few days, uh, it's hard to sometimes find those deals unless the team's willing to move something out. And maybe there's a team out there that says, holy cow, he's still there. Maybe we can get him for a little less and still have to make a, a, a salary move to get him under the cap. But I'm, I'm not at all shocked just because I think there are some that want to stay away from the reputation and may not be completely convinced that it's gone. I wonder if Daryl Sutter would like him because Calgary has cap space. They obviously have a need after losing Goodrow. I wonder if Calgary would be interested in a guy like that. Yeah, you, you keep hearing those things. I, I think Calgary remains a uh, maybe a front runner to continue to talk to him because, and they're also got to be thinking who knows what that situation is with Matthew up there. So, um, it's still a shocker. Now, look, I was told, uh, interestingly enough, I, I, I heard that not only like, so not only did Calgary put one heck of an offer on the table for Johnny Gaudreau, right? But the New Jersey Devils were in the mix, but one of the teams that was in the mix ended up stepping back, and then they circled back with Calgary and, and, and didn't, you know, it didn't maybe go too well, uh, and, and Calgary didn't want to step up again, and there you have Columbus. I Calgary's in a in a real interesting situation, and Brad Trey Living has that challenge now. 
so a guy like Nazem Kadri could at least bring some spark and uh, and some life to that team. And and there aren't many teams that are on the cusp of still having a really good competitive team that has the cap space to be able to put that kind of contract out there. Then again, how how long of a contract do you put out there? I mean, so who knows what his agent's looking for, Randy? If his agent is if he's looking for six seven years, well, I just I, I just don't see that happening. So it's again, it's where do and boy, Doug Armstrong has some great examples of this too. But players or agents overvaluing, you know, what their player could really get. Um, mm-hmm. You know, who was a great example of that? Real quickly here. Go back a few years ago, Chris Russell, right? Still playing for the Edmonton Oilers. Remember the former uh, Blues defenseman? Yeah. He hit the free agent market, okay? And and it's just, and you're thinking, okay, this guy's blocking a ton of shots. He was like the league leader in block shots. He's doing a lot of good things. They, they thought that there was going to be some more value for him. It wasn't. He ended up having to sign, I think, a one-year deal at, at a lot less money with the Edmonton Oilers earned a spot, and now he's stuck with them ever since. So sometimes, sometimes the market doesn't go your way, and frankly, that's maybe why they call it the market. Yeah, right. Moral <laughs> of the story, get off the contract on opening day of free agency, take it. Yeah, yeah. Good call. <laughs> hey, listen, if you, get off, well, if, you get offered, if you get offered a contract that you think is pretty reasonable, you're darn right, take it. Uh, you know, you, you're trying to – it's one thing to be able to say I can write my own ticket, but you got to have somebody else that wants you at that same price, and sometimes those two things don't always align. Yep. Curbs, great stuff. Thanks as always. We do appreciate it. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Have an awesome week, you too. Thanks. See you, Curbs. That is the voice of the Blues here on 101 ESPN. Chris Kerber, the fight is next. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe Listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of Morning Drive. Please welcome Randy Carricker. It is time for the Monday edition of the fight on Carricker and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. Randy was undefeated last week. He's on quite the run right now. Matt, do we have that number handy? Oh, it is now 12. He is on a 12-fight win streak. Steve is joining us this morning as Randy's challenger. Can Steve take Randy down? Good morning, Steve. How are you? Oh, pretty good. (laughs) You don't seem very confident, Steve. Yeah, it could be better. (laughs) You know, after I just told you that Randy's on a 12-fight win streak, I probably didn't help the cause. Well, not so much. All right. Well, good luck to you, Steve. Are you ready to go? Yep. Okay, question number one. Tom Brady has seven Super Bowl wins and five Super Bowl MVPs, with both the other two MVP awards going to his receivers. What two receivers won those Super Bowl MVP awards? Was it Troy Brown and Danny Amendola, Troy Troy Brown and David Patton, or Deion Branch and Julian Edelman? Uh, Deion Branch and Edelman. What team did Joe Torre manage immediately before immediately before his stint with the Cardinals? Was it the Atlanta Braves, the New York Mets, or the LA Dodgers? Uh, Braves. Steve, what team originally drafted Penny Hardaway, trading him on draft day to the Magic for Chris Webber? Was that the Vancouver Grizzlies, the Dallas Mavericks, or the Golden State Warriors? Ooh. Uh, let's go to Dallas. 
And Dave DeBusher is one of just a handful of athletes to play in both the MLB and NBA. What MLB team did he play for? Was it the New York Mets, the Chicago White Sox, or the Detroit Tigers? Um, Mets. Scores confirmed. Waving in Randy. Uh, Steve, are you more or less confident after you took the fight? Uh, a little less confident. <laughs> Great. <laughs> well, where are you from, Steve? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, I'm from Seward. Uh, nice. Physical therapist. You know, just getting to work. Awesome. Uh, Randy, please say good morning to Steve, a physical therapist from Soulard. Good morning, Steve. How you doing? Oh, pretty good. Good. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. We do appreciate it. Randy, are you ready to go? Ready. Question number one for Megamind, who's on a 12-fight win streak, by the oh, way. Man. Were you aware? Oh, I had no idea. <laughs> now there's pressure. You're like Paul Goldsmith. You don't, Paul Goldsmith, you don't even care. You just want to do what you can to win, no, but no. you don't care about the numbers. I care. <laughs> he didn't know that. Doesn't even care. I think the drop she play after every victory yeah. does, in yeah. fact, yeah, indicate does, that yeah. you care. Actions speak louder. <laughs> Tom Brady has seven Super Bowl wins and five Super Bowl MVPs. Randy's favorite player. Mm-hmm. With both of the other two MVP awards going to his receivers, what two receivers won those Super Bowl MVP awards? All right, one of them was uh, number eighty-three. Um. Let's see. Um, I I have forgotten the guy's name. He went. He left as a free agent and came back. Um, let's see. Who else did he have? Did Edelman win one? Edelman won one. Yeah, because he went against the Rams. Um, so uh, the first guy. Hold on. I'll think of it in a second. <laughs> um, oh man. I'll just do the lifeline so that people don't complain about me taking too much time. Troy Brown and Danny Amendola, no. Troy Brown and David no. Patton, or Dion Branch and Julian Edelman. Dion Branch and Julian Edelman. There you go. What team did Joe Torre manage immediately before his stint with the Cardinals? You mean before the five years he spent in the Angels booth? Well, yes. Uh, that would have been, uh, Matthew, that would have been the Atlanta Braves. Atlanta Braves, whom the Cardinals beat in the 1982 NLCS with nice. him at the helm. Randy, what team originally drafted Penny Hardaway, trading him on draft day to the Magic for Chris Webber? Drafted Hardaway, traded him to the Magic for Chris Webber. Um, I think it was the Warriors. I think that was the first team that, that uh, C-Webb, I remember him playing for, so I'll go with that. Uh, Dave DeBusher is one of just a handful of athletes to play in both the MLB and NBA. Hmm. What MLB team did he play for? I believe Dave DeBusher was a big right-hander. Obviously, he was an NBA player for the Chicago White Sox. Jeez, Matt, just ring the bell. (laughs) Oh, do we have the bell? Can we just do this? Just win, baby. Still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. Steve, I'm sorry. Randy got the jack. He beat you four to two. Uh, yeah. Well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's Randy. <laughs> I love that response. Well, that they... just happened. Oh, jeez, Randy. Well, Steve, thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. Have a great week. All right. Thanks, guys. It's so damn hot. Milk was a bad choice.
Milk is always a bad choice. Who's drinking? I saw this meme the other day that was like, what adult is drinking regular milk? And if so, are you okay? Yeah, good question. You know, if you're, if you're an adult and you sit down at the dinner table, you're not like, oh, I'm going to drink a glass of milk with this pasta. Couldn't tell you the last time I had a glass of milk. Right. Um, or a, a bottle where I was walking down the street, just, you know. Chugging milk. I grew, up in a family, I grew up in a family that drank a lot of milk at okay. meals, but now I'm older. It's kind of weird. And I, I, could, I could never do it again. 13 in a row for Randy, including a Jack, to start the week. Not bad, my friend. I can't believe I didn't remember Dion Branch's name, though. I knew you were going to be mad about that. So Tom Brady has seven Super Bowl wins, five Super Bowl MVPs. The other two MVPs went to his receivers. It was Dion Branch and Julian Edelman. Joe Torre managed the Atlanta Braves before his stint with the Cardinals. The Golden State Warriors originally drafted Penny Hardaway, trading him on draft day to the Magic for Chris Webber. Dave DeBusher is just one of a handful of athletes to play in both MLB and the NBA. And he played for the Chicago White Sox when he played Major League Baseball. So thank you to Steve, who you could just hear his soul leaving his body as Randy was dunking on him after the jack. Um, and congrats, Randy. Good job. Thank you, Michelle. You're Appreciate welcome. It. Thank you, Matthew. Hey, thank you, Randy. Coming up next... There is a real issue, in my opinion, with baseball, and I'm glad that Jeff Passan of ESPN agrees with me. He's re- recently written a piece about it, and Jeff Passan joins us next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome back to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN in St. Louis. And we get to go right now to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. And ESPN's insider extraordinaire and great writer Jeff Passan joins us. Jeff, it's always good to talk to you. Thanks for taking some time. Pleasure is always mine, Randy. Thanks for having me. Well, I, w- I want to talk about a piece you wrote recently, and we'll tweet it out. It, it's titled The Decline of the Starting Pitcher and What It Means for Baseball's Future. And one of the reasons that I was intrigued by the piece is because I was telling Michelle Smallman and Matthew Rocchio, who don't remember Fernando Mania, about Fernando Mania. Here's a 20-year-old in 1981 who gets complete games in his first eight major league starts and has five shutouts, and everybody in America was just transfixed by this starting pitcher. And the way things are going right now, I don't see America being transfixed by a starting pitcher anymore. And you touched on that in the story. First of all, could you imagine that happening now? No, it, it would not happen now. Uh, there, there would be a, a great outcry among uh, the people who look at pitch counts as if uh, there, there's some sort of fixed number. And I, I think baseball is a, a worse place now because the starting pitcher has just been neutered to the point he has um i understand the reasons behind it they make sense they're rational they're logical they help teams win more but what's good for individual teams is not necessarily good for the sport and that was the whole premise behind the story that baseball as a whole is suffering on account of the individual decisions that are made in front offices and jeff i know that you've been intrigued by this for a long time you wrote a book called the arm about arm injuries and pitchers and I want to know, first of all, do pitch counts work? (laughs) I I I think pitch counts at certain levels work. I think pitch counts in youth baseball are absolutely imperative because we have uh, children who are still growing and who don't know how much they can weather. But once we're well past puberty, um, I frankly don't think we ask enough 
of starting pitchers uh, at the youth level, at the college level, at the minor league level, and particularly at the major league level. And like you said, I, I spent four years looking into the, the pitching arm and writing a book on it. And one thing I took away from it was that the fear uh, that was manifested because so many pitchers were getting injured has uh, swung too far in the other direction, frankly. And that while asking pitchers to go out every fourth day and throw 150 pitches is something that's going to lead to long-term damage, having them go out every fifth day and throw fewer than 100 pitches doesn't take advantage of just how capable pitchers are to get deeper into games. Why are pitchers getting hurt then, even though they're throwing less pitches and fewer innings? I think a lot of it goes back to this unintended consequence, which is that if you're throwing less, pitchers believe, then that means we can go max effort, get more out of every pitch than we had in the past. I think it's a big reason that you see the average fastball velocity over the last two decades has climbed from 89 miles per hour to 93 plus right now. I think it's the reason you see some of these pitches that seem to defy physics, whether it's a slider that's breaking two feet uh, or a curveball that's dropping from head to toes uh, or a changeup that guys turn over and just has wicked movement. And what's happened is that max effort pitching has become the norm. Guys don't believe that the imperative is to get to the seventh, eighth, even ninth inning of a game. So they know that if we have six innings and 100 pitches, we are going to exhaust everything we can. And that that also is the case with relief pitchers. When the expectation is only I'm going to go out there and throw one inning. Well, you let it eat for a whole inning, and you're going to be more effective that way. And and the problem is, with max effort pitching, you have more stress and more strain on your ligaments, your joints, uh, your muscles, everything that comprises the arm. And so even though they are throwing less, the intensity is higher, and that intensity is making injuries just as prevalent now as they were back when guys were throwing 85, 86, 87, and just doing it too much. ESPN's Jeff Passon with us on 101 ESPN. And Jeff, we had John Smoltz on the show several years ago, and we were talking about Carlos Martinez, and I brought up the idea of dialing back the velocity a little bit to enhance his command. And he said, yeah, he, he would be all over that. That's what he did. And I asked with Jordan Hicks's situation this year, I asked Ali Marmol about it, and he said, it's a good thought, but these guys are here because they throw 100 miles an hour. You can't ask a guy who got to the major leagues because he throws 100 to dial it back for more command. It seems to me that if you're in the minors and you have a guy that can throw a little more command, and if they want to have a guy conserve pitches, that would be the way to do it. Rather than nibble or go three and two all the time, have command. Yeah, and beyond that, movement is an important part of this. And I I think one of the things that sabermetrics and analytics have done for baseball is allow us to understand movement a little better. There's something called seam-shifted wake that's become a big buzzword in baseball. And uh, essentially, it's trying to figure out the correct axis to throw uh, a pitch and to get superior movement out of it. And, And the argument, I think, it isn't just a matter of velocity. If you say we're going to dial back the velocity, but the movement is going to be there and it's going to be elite, and we're going to put the pitch in the strike zone, the notion of getting weak contact, of getting ground balls and quick outs, suddenly is prioritized. And if you're prioritizing something like that, then that's going to get a guy deeper into games. And so I think saying to a guy, 
throw it slower and command it better is a tough thing to say. But I think throw it slower, command it better, move it more, go deeper into games is a pretty strong argument to make to pitchers who see the innings totals around baseball these days and are used to them being as low as they are. Uh, to me, if, if I'm developing a pitcher, I say to him, look at how few innings guys throw out there. If you're somebody who can go deep into games, you are going to stand out. And if you can throw more innings and have less stress on the bullpen, you are going to be extremely well-valued by teams out there. So if we can make this an economic argument and say you're going to make money if you throw more innings, I think that may be the most compelling argument you can make for a pitcher to to change the way he approaches things. And I would think, Jeff, that if we have a pitch clock and rather than having 25 seconds to recharge the Uh arm and throw the next max effort pitch, if it's 14 or Uh 19 seconds, guys aren't going to have that velocity and they'll be required to have more command. Yeah, and that's I think what part of the part of the impetus behind the pitch clock. It's that it forces guys to change their approach. And some guys are going to go out there and go full tilt still, and that's fine. That's their decision. That's their choice. But I think the uh, the smartest ones, or at least the ones who don't have the ability to maintain that great stuff deep into games, are going to understand. Hey, maybe I do need to change things a little bit here. But less velocity is not always worse for a pitcher. And We've seen that for, what, almost 20 years now with Adam Wainwright? Mm-hmm. And, and I understand Adam, Adam Wainwright is an outlier in terms of modern pitchers. And my conversation with him for this story that I did was insightful because of the way he talks about pitching, but uh, difficult to replicate. It, it's, it's along the same lines, Randy, of the if they're going to shift you, why don't you just hit to the opposite field, right? Right. right? It is great in theory and a lot more difficult in practice, but that practice needs to start at lower levels. And if Major League Baseball starts to prioritize getting deeper into games by starters, then I think it's going to filter down to the lower levels. The problem is there's no incentive in place right now for Major League teams to prioritize that. And they look at the numbers, which gets back to the start of this conversation. The numbers are extremely compelling in terms of just how much better hitters are the third time through the order against starting pitchers than they are the first and second times. And you can't ignore them. Like, it's numbers are truth. Numbers are reality. And what major league teams have done is look at those numbers and stop saying, I'm going to run my team in a particular way because that's how I've always run my team. No, they're saying, I'm going to try and win in the most efficient way possible and that efficiency comes from bringing in new relief pitchers and having this clown car come in from the bullpen uh, with seemingly, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten guys who are able to come out of it. And uh, it's worked. It worked in Tampa. It worked in Milwaukee. It worked these small market, low revenue teams that in this era have a difficult time winning because of their payroll. So they have to scratch and claw and figure out every marginal advantage they can. Do you think, though, that and let's just take one isolated incident, game six of the 2020 World Series, when Blake Snell was taking out. Sometimes you just have to use not you, but the, the, the people that are so hung up on those numbers. Sometimes they just have to use the eye test, don't they? Yes, but if the, if you look at the eye test, Blake Snell stuff was starting to recede there. And, the you know, I don't know if it was fatigue. Uh, I'm not sure if 
the hitters were seeing the ball better. I don't know what it was specifically, but this was not just an analytics thing. Um, I'm not going to sit here and say that Blake Snell should have been pulled. I don't think he should have, but at the same time, in that high leverage spot, it's it's a hard, hard decision to make, and I am really glad I'm not Kevin Cash <laughs> because he's going to wear that for the rest of his career. He was the guy who pulled Blake Snell out in the middle of a World Series gem, and he's going to have to speak uh, on, on his reasons for that for the rest of his career. And the, these are the decisions that are made every day now, Randy, in Major League Baseball. You know, I was, yeah. I was watching – Episode one of the captain, the the Derek Jeter documentary that's going to be airing on ESPN on Sunday. And David Cohn was in uh, in the ALDS game against the Seattle Mariners in two, uh, in 1995 in, in the eighth inning with the bases loaded uh, up a run and walked a guy. And only in that situation did Buck Showalter come out to take him out after the game had been tied on a bases loaded walk. You would never ever see that nowadays ever and i you know you listen to the commentary over uh, over the video of what's going on there and it talks about how cone is laboring and how cone is grinding and maybe this shows my age but i love the idea of a starting pitcher going late into games laboring and grinding not because i want to see him get injured but because i think our greatest moments in sports are ones where there's conflict and there's an incredible amount of conflict there when you see what could be versus what is. And what was in that situation was a man who was up there who didn't have his best and was trying to defeat the opponent. And God, whenever is there a better sports story than that? You know what? You just hit the nail on the head for St. Louisans because we talk about game five against Philadelphia in 2011, the Halliday Carpenter one nothing game, which uh, everybody remembers that here. We remember game six of the World Series, but those two starting pitchers literally giving it everything they had, and they were both veterans, and neither was the same after that game. But that's really in baseball what it should be all about. And listen, I, I'm not going to sit here and – advocate for a guy who goes out and gives his all and has nothing left and can't recover it. I never want to see a situation like that, but uh, a one nothing game between two aces, uh, I don't think we would be given that gift anymore, uh, except in the most extreme outlier of scenarios. And I think baseball is worse off for it. And I listen, I get the perspective that people have that games evolve, that things change, but for a sport like baseball, that frankly doesn't have all that many stars to uh, to take out your guy before the most important innings of the game. Like what other sport aside from baseball do you have the person who's supposed to be the, the star of the game, the center of the game, the person who's not just commanding but creating the action with every pitch he throws, not in at the very end. Yeah, it just it, it doesn't happen in any other sport, any other venue. One last thing, Jeff Passan, and you featured Alec Manoa of the Blue Jays, and I was glad you did in this piece. And there are several, Sandy Alcantara, the former Cardinal farmhand with the Marlins, there are some guys that are around that are old-school horses. Do you think that there there's a chance that organizations might look at those two and they'll still be the outliers, but organizations will give more guys a chance like the blue Jays gave to Alec Manoa when he asked to do what we're expecting him to do. Um, No, not unless there's incentive to do so. And that incentive can come in a couple of different ways. And, you know, Theo Epstein, who 
ran the Boston Red Sox, Chicago Cubs won World Series with them, uh, wants to limit the size of pitching staffs. You know, start off at a 12-pitcher limit and maybe hopefully potentially go down to 11. And there are 30 GMs across baseball who are going to yell, no, that's not what we want to do. That's not the way that the game is played now. But if they weren't running teams, I would guess at least half of those GMs would say, yes, this is a great idea. So it's on the owners. It's incumbent on the owners to look at their sport right now and say, how do we put it in the best position going forward? And I think pitcher limits and something like the double hook for the DH, which is when you pull out your starting pitcher, you lose your designated hitter. Uh, If you have little incentives in place, then I think the culture is going to shift with it. and That's the way to rescue the starting pitcher. Jeff Fasten, you've touched on something that's near and dear to my heart. You wrote about it and did great work. Thanks so much for the time, and thanks for your great work for ESPN. Uh, You you are uh, a must-go-to on Twitter and a must-read at ESPN.com, and we appreciate you taking some time with us. Thank you for the kind words, Randy. I appreciate you having me. That's Jeff Passan. He does great work for ESPN.com, joining us on 101 ESPN. Coming up, what's your level of faith that the Cardinals will win the World Series? And they won't disappoint you because they said before the season started, it'd be a disappointment if we didn't win the World Series. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I've always told you guys I never speak in absolute. So, uh, so, so using that, look, I, I think you know he, he's excited about this club. We all are. Um, you know, I think I've been doing it long enough to know that you know, you know trying to to uh, position expectations so high that you know you can't guarantee delivering. But the, part, the I think really what his point is is that he knows we have a talented team. He knows there are guys that, that understand what it takes to win at a high level, at a consistent level, and what it takes to get to October, and what it's like to win in October. And so when you have those, those attributes or those traits, you can, you, you can easily connect dots to getting there. Obviously, for all of us that have been around the game a long time, we know there's other things that also factor into that. And, and that's good fortune, good health, good luck. To, to, to name a few. And so there's some things you can control and there's some things you can't. And the good news is we have a talented team and hopefully we can control that. That was John Mozeliak earlier in the spring responding to Ali Marmol's comment that, quote, it would be a disappointment if we didn't win the World Series, unquote. We want to know what you think. Text 65780. Michelle, this one from the 314. Every team in the league is disappointed by not winning the World Series. Oh, come on. You think the Pirates are disappointed? Right. Teams that are (laughs) admittedly tanking, you think they're really disappointed? You think their manager was coming out saying, yeah, we really uh, would be disappointed if we didn't win the World Series this year? Or uh, hide with with the Orioles, who are doing great, by the way. But... I don't think that they came into the season with any illusions of winning, let alone saying we'd be disappointed if we didn't win. Do you think when the Reds are saying that? No, they they're have a completely different attitude towards winning and towards winning the World Series. The Cubs aren't saying that, certainly. Mm-hmm. They're not heading into this season saying, yeah, we expect to win a World Series. It's a disappointment if we don't. I think the Cardinals are backing up what they've said for years now, that 2022 was a year that they'd circled as a year that they were really going to go for it. And I know that not only is the way the team built 
part of the reason that Ali Marmol said that, but he knows that the standards are different here in St. Louis. So he realizes that he's just echoing what most fans are thinking and feeling. And we welcome your mic drops. We welcome your text, 65780. We do have a mic drop. John checked in with us earlier and joins us now on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. I'm not a bit worried about the Cardinals making the World Series and winning it. What team hasn't had a world champion with players such as Dickerson and McFarlane and Verhagen and Matz? And I have complete faith that John Mozeliak will go out and get that number three starter and another bridge pitcher for the bullpen. He'll probably pick up at least one bat that will really help also. Or we could look at it like this. Auntie M, Auntie M, it's a twister, it's a twister. And the sky is falling. That was a good mic drop. Well done, John. Good job, John. Yeah. <laughs> I really have no notes on that I know, one. You, you, guys well, are, you guys are huge fans of, oh, why am I blanking on um, the wonderful woman who always gives us mic drops? Janet. Janet. Mm-hmm. But, man, John is, is, has to be my favorite one. The, the, the references he makes, the, the production he puts into his mic drops, uh, he's the best. Yeah, uh, from the six one eight, he didn't say he expects to win the World Series. He said it would be a disappointment if they didn't win the World Series. Well, the disappointment comes from the expectation. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I would say that that's the case. And by the way, uh, there are a lot of Cardinal fans, at least people that are interacting with us, whether it be on social media or on our text line, that are not happy with uh, with John Mozeliak, and they. They look at the fact that the Cardinals haven't made big deadline moves. They did the Alan Craig for Lackey in 2014. They did the two moves last year. But they haven't made that dramatic move like the Dodgers did last year when they won the— Oh, no, they didn't. But when they got Scherzer and and Trey Turner at the deadline. And while the Dodgers did that and while the Giants got Chris Bryant, the Braves went out and they got Eddie Rosario and Jorge Soler and— uh, Adam Duvall, and uh, who was the fourth outfielder? Oh, Jack Peterson. They got four guys that weren't really considered huge gets at the deadline, but they wound up being a big deal for their team. The Cardinals' need is so clear. There are no Max Scherzers on the market this year, but there should be enough guys out there that they are able to get a representative number three starter out of the trade market at the at the deadline. It's like what they did in 2011 when they moved Colby mm-hmm. Rasmus for uh, several arms that ended up being so critical for them down the stretch and ultimately helped them win the World Series. You know the need. You need to go out there and address it with the best possible pitchers that you can find. Yeah. This one from the 618, Michelle, I'll be more disappointed if Mo doesn't do anything than I would if they didn't won't, don't win the World Series. And I think making, first of all, I don't expect them to win the World Series either. I'm, I'm like you, but I would like them. And we've made this point a thousand times on the show. If you're not going to do it this year, then when are you going to do it? When are you going to be aggressive enough and make that dramatic move if you aren't going to do it in 2022 when you have Pujols and Molina in their last years and Adam Wainwright down the stretch of his career? 
If not now, when? And in addition to that, Randy, I just keep thinking about this. Do you want to waste an MVP year by Paul Goldschmidt? Right, exactly. How many more years of Goldie and Arenado at their peak production are you really going to have? You half, need to, half a year. You need to capitalize on that, too. But what Paul Goldschmidt has done this year and will hopefully continue to do for the rest of the season and into the playoffs, that should be something that you want to capitalize on mm-hmm. as well, in addition to all of the other factors that you already laid out. And you have an, a, a major league high seven, according to Baseball America, top 100 prospects in your system. You've never had a more fertile system from which to deal either. That is another thing that I keep thinking about is I know the Cardinals love to protect their prospects. I know after Sandy Alcantara and Randy Rosarena, they're a little bit less eager to deal guys within the system because they want to make sure that they know what they have and that these guys aren't going to turn out to be studs for them down the road and that they're not dealing away the next Sandy Alcantara. However, at some point, you're going to have to make it hurt if you truly want to push all the chips in and win. At some point, you're going to have to part with somebody that's probably going to be really good down the line. That's how these things work. You're not going to get a, I'm using this as an example, but you're not going to get a Juan Soto for nothing. You're going to have to give up somebody that has the potential to be great, but isn't a known commodity. And that's really difficult for the Cardinals because the reason that they've been able to keep the door open and beep a playoff team year in and year out and have the sustained, sustained success of winning is because they have these young guys that continue to ascend within the system. They, they plug yeah, them in. Right. And let me just throw out this, what I hope is a logical thought process. The Cardinals minor league player of the month last month was Malcolm Nunez. Led all Cardinal minor leaguers by hitting 381, 454 on base, 726 slug. He ranked first for the month in homers and RBIs and total bases. That's Malcolm Nunez, a third baseman in the Cardinal system. They also have Jordan Walker in their system, the number seven prospect in all of baseball. They also have Nolan Gorman at the major league level, who was their number one prospect for several years. You have three young third basemen, plus you have another guy under contract for five more years who may or may not opt out after this year. But are you really going to need all of those third basemen, or would you be better off expending one to get what you need to try to win. And I'm not saying trade Walker or Gorman either. But if you have this a, a guy like Nunez who's been hanging around in your system for a while, don't you want to try to get some value out of those guys who probably aren't going to do much for you in the future? If if you've misevaluated to the point that Malcolm Nunez becomes your third baseman in the near future, then you've got real problems. You can't hoard all these prospects forever. No, no. So go out and if a team like, for example... The Washington Nationals. And there aren't many. I'm just thinking about a, Me too. a, a thing we're going to have because, later. Well, because but, the Cardinals have the pieces. If they really wanted right. to go and get one yeah. soda, they could do it. This is a bad time in the major leagues for third baseman. That's just a guy out there that uh, in the Cardinal system that's, by the way, not even in the top 100 for Baseball America, but is their minor league player of the month. So I'm just saying that the Cardinals have some depth. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Mobile on the Run. On the Run is your summertime snack and sip store. 
It's time for... You're killing me, Smalls! Brady, I just want to use this first story as an opportunity to once again shout out Matt Carpenter, who continues to be an absolute wrecking ball for the Yankees. In 31 games played with the Yankees, he's hit 13 homers, he's driven in 34, and he's posted a 1.397 OPS. What a great job he did of resurrecting his career. People just don't do that. It's really hard to think of uh, many athletes ever that have been able to be great, go down to the bottom, go to the minors, and then return to greatness like he has. Lindsay Adler, who covers the Yankees for The Athletic, had this tweet. Matt Carpenter, a guy who showed up in the Yankees clubhouse in Tampa with nothing to lose, who said he would load the bags on the team plane if they asked, and attended his first hitters meeting in jeans, just got a standing ovation while coming to the plate plate in a Sox Yankees game. And by the way, Randy, Yankees fans are calling him Matty Mustache. Oh, Matty Mustache is good. That's even better than Marp. Matty Mustache is good, and what a glorious mustache that is. It really is. But I just love that this is a guy who said, I will load the bags on the team plane. I just want an opportunity. And here he is being one of their most valuable players. Yeah, he's magnificent and good for him. And their broadcasters love him. I was watching their game yesterday. The fastest Yankee Uh, Most home runs in his first 20 starts in Yankees history with uh, 13 home runs in his first 20 starts. Phenomenal. Good for him. His OPS is 1,500 in July. That's stupid. I got to go back and see how many months, if there's any months in his career that Albert Pujols put up a 1,500 OPS. That's, That's disgusting. It's amazing. It's ridiculous, and we're thrilled for him. Yep. You're killing me, Smalls! Well, Randy, some big news for you. Your two favorite people have made it official. Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez, they're officially married. No. I know that you know this. I know that you pay attention to this. They got married in Vegas over the weekend, um, a midnight ceremony at a chapel in Vegas. She wore a dress from an old movie that she was in. She put out a... um, a piece on her newsletter talking about how they got married and she signed it. Jennifer Lynn Affleck. It's official. Benifer. We got to love it. Does this one stick though? Because she's had three, okay, that haven't really succeeded, I would say. She uh, got married as a youngster. Then she married uh, Mark Anthony Wright. And then she married one of her dancers. Yes. So this will be the fourth marriage. Does this one work? Does this one hold? I think this one sticks. I think he's her. they're each other's people. 20 years they've waited to get married. Oh, man. This is like Newman and Woodward. <laughs> Paul Newman, Joanne Woodward, married for 50 years. Oh, I didn't know this. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So that's a Hollywood marriage that did work. What a run. Yeah. So maybe they can catch up to, uh, is it Ryan Reynolds and... Uh, Blake Lively? Blake Lively? Yeah. Let's see how long they've been married. Pretty, pretty long time. Ryan Reynolds, stand by. Uh... We're on this with research. Okay. Um, but they, in the beginning, broke up because of yeah. all of the media speculation around them. So I love that they just flew to Vegas, eloped, did it low-key. Their kids were there. So happy for those kids. Yeah, they yeah. they just, she she had a dress in her closet. They didn't make it a spectacle. They just love each other. And I know you're thrilled for that. True love, yeah. I'm, I'm really happy about it, yeah. Okay, so they got married in 2012 blake lively and so ryan Reynolds. 10 years of wedded bliss for ryan and blakester, <laughs> blakester. <laughs> okay so uh, i bring this up for several reasons one because i know you're thrilled for these two <laughs> crazy kids who are in love and number two as a nickname guy j-lo is one of the all-time nicknames it's a brand yeah. it's iconic what happens with 
Jennifer she's Affleck. Still, she's still J-Lo. You think she'll always be J-Lo? She'll always be J-Lo, yeah. She won't change that name on her Instagram account. It's going to be J-Lo. But Jaffleck kind of has a ring to it, no? Jaffleck. <laughs> yeah, they could have a, uh, a pet duck. Jaffleck. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? A pet duck. Yeah. Maybe. There's a Jaffleck duck. Jaffleck. You're killing me, Smalls. <laughs> anyway, that was good, Randy. You are killing me. And uh, finally, Florida quarterback Anthony Richardson, his number is 15. Mm-hmm. His initials are AR for Anthony Richardson, and his nickname is AR15. He has, it's all over social media, clothing brand. This is his brand. Mm. Speaking of JLo being a brand, AR15 mm-hmm. is his brand. Well, he posted this on Twitter. He said, after discussions with my family and much thought, I have decided to no longer use the nickname AR15. Uh, the current apparel line logo um, because that is only a nickname and AR-15 was simply a representation of my initials combined with my jersey number. It's important to me that my name and brand are no longer associated with the assault rifle that has been used in mass shootings, which I do cannot do not condone in any way or form, any way or form, excuse me. So with all the mass shootings that continue to happen, Anthony Richardson no longer wants to be referred to as AR-15. Smart move on his part. And actually, a Florida quarterback wearing number 15, probably not the best move anyway. Right? Taking Tim Tebow's number? Was that his number? Yeah. I don't remember. Oh, yeah. yeah, it was 15. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Then so, why is it even available? That's a great question, that's a, Michelle. That's, that's that's honestly the real question of this entire story is why is it available? Yes, yeah. he was number 15. Why is that available for Anthony? Yeah, I, it should not be. Shout out to Anthony Richardson, but no, that, should, that number should be retired slash reserved for strictly Tim Tebow. Yeah. Tim Tebow is one of the three best college football players ever. Yes. So and, Florida should absolutely have that number retired. And if you're Anthony Richardson, why? I mean, granted, maybe that, that's been your number all along because that's your brand and your nickname, yep. but that's a lot to live up to. That really is. Being number 15 at Florida when you're the quarterback. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But a smart move in this time frame in American history to distance yourself from that, that name. I know there's a lot of people that love it, but... There's also a lot of people that are disturbed by it. So it's probably best to get away from something that's polarizing. Absolutely. I think it's smart from a branding perspective. But when you think about it, it's a great nickname for a quarterback. And it's a real shame that the state of our country doesn't allow for stuff like that. You know, there was an attempted great nickname, which, by the way, in 2022 wouldn't go over very well for Neil Lomax and the nickname that we came up with, not we, but Bill Wilkerson and the listeners of KMOX at the time, he was the gateway gunner. The gateway gunner. Now there's a lot of them out there. Yeah. I don't think that would play today. No, I don't think so. No. Thanks, Michelle. You're welcome. Coming up next, John Morosi of MLB.com reported last week that the Cardinals have checked in with Washington about Juan Soto. And now we know about Soto's contract demands that have been turned down. If you're Mo, what do you give up? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Multiple reports, Michelle, over the weekend said that Juan Soto has turned down a 15-year, $440 million contract from the Washington Nationals. Last week, 
John Morosi of MLB.com reported that the Cardinals have checked in with Washington about Soto. And on the heels of him rejecting this contract offer, word came out this weekend that the Nationals will listen to offers for the 23-year-old who's also been compared to Ted Williams. He's also a world champion. He's an all-star again and is already at the age of 23, one of the best players in all of baseball. So if you are John Mozeliak, what would you give up to get Juan Soto? One of the things, Michelle, that I want to point out here as we talk about the Cardinals, and it's not a possibility, but as as we just talk about what we would give up if we were the Cardinals for uh, Juan Soto, six of their top 10 prospects are right-handed pitchers, and all of them have an ETA. Each of those pitchers have an ETA of this year, next year, or 2024 at the latest. Their second number two prospect is a shortstop, but three of their top four prospects in Washington are guys that are expected to be on hand by next year, and they're all right-handed pitchers. So I don't think right-handed pitching is exactly what the Nationals need right now, unless you can give them somebody who's better than what they have. And the Cardinals don't have a right-handed pitcher that's better than the prospects that they have. So Let's start with you, and we want your tech, 65780. What would you give up to get Juan Soto for the rest of this year, 2023 and 2024, with the assumption that you probably would not be able to sign him for half a billion dollars after the 2024 season? No. If you're doing this, your expectation is to win now. Yeah. And he's a Scott Boris client, and Boris is going to take him into the open market. Yes. So it's going to cost a lot, and I'm assuming that those conversations will start and end with Jordan Walker. But we know that the Cardinals are not likely to give up Jordan Walker. So when I did this exercise, I was doing that without Jordan Walker as part of this equation, because I think most people would say, no, I'm not going to give up the future of a guy who's been compared to Albert Pujols and who's raking in the minors and looks like he could be your cornerstone piece Mm -hmm. for the future for a guy who I'm only going to have likely as a rental. But it is going to hurt. So what do you think about this, Randy? Do you think this would get it done? Dylan Carlson... Alec Burleson, Zach Thompson, and Matthew Libertor. I think you'd have to give him one more premier guy. One more guy? Yeah. So here's the way I went. I also had Carlson and Libertor in my mix, but I had Nolan Gorman Mm. along with Michael McGreevy and Gordon Graceffa, who the Cardinals love, and he was their minor league pitcher of the month earlier. But I also want to get... Patrick Corbin back from them and have them pay the full salary for Patrick Corbin. So that's why you're throwing in some additional pieces. Yeah, right. Okay. Right. So But do you feel good about giving up either one of the those crop of guys for Juan Soto? I would feel much better if I thought I had a chance of signing Juan Soto. But I don't think I have a chance. Do I do I want to give up Carlson, Libertor, McGreevy, Gorman, and Graceffo for two and a half years of Juan Soto? No, I don't think that that makes a whole lot of sense. I Juan Soto's obviously better than any of these guys individually. But five years from now, I might really regret not having Dylan Carlson and Nolan Gorman and watching those guys blast the ball over the wall at Nationals Park. Yeah, that would stink. Would you entertain a package if it included Mason Wynn? No. So Jordan Walker and Mason Wynn are your untouchables. And the reason for Wynn is, as much as I love Edmund, I don't love the rest of the Cardinals' middle infield for the future. And that includes Nolan Gorman. I, I wonder if Nolan Gorman actually winds up staying at second base. But I would. I think I'd rather have a, 
couple of really smooth athletic guys like Edmund and Wynn on my middle infield with Nolan Gorman either going to a corner outfield or DHing. I know he's dealt with injury history, but do you think a guy like Tyler O'Neill might sweeten the pot a little? 34 home runs last year, gold glove, they want outfielders in return. I think the problem with him is that he becomes a free agent in a year and a half. So if you're Washington and he's 28, I, I don't know that Tyler O'Neill is going to be your guy in when you plan to win. They probably don't plan to win again until 2025 at the earliest. This would be a big time risk because this could be something that depletes your system and puts you in a position if you don't end up winning with Juan Soto mm-hmm. where despite having many years of sustained success, you're in a position where instead of retooling and rebooting, you are rebuilding. Right. And boy, what a start for Washington if they can do it, right? Yes, if they can. Yeah. But but there's not many teams out there that are going to have the bounty of guys that they're going to be interested in for somebody like Juan Soto. I think it'll be hard. And they don't need to do it this year either. They, they don't need to do it at this deadline. They can put them on the block after this season, next year at the All-Star break, even or at the deadline, and then even after next season. And they'll still get a pretty good haul if Soto does what he's done so far in his career. Uh, the 314 Randy texts in and says, respectfully, this is the wrong conversation. Why are you just accepting that they won't sign Soto? <laughs> because I've been told by the upperest level of the Cardinals that they aren't interested in 10-year contracts because of the way the back end of 10-year contracts work out. Yeah. So if he's turning down 15 years, the Cardinals aren't going 10, I can tell you that. And they're not going to have a $400 million player on their roster. No, they aren't. Yeah, and if you just look at the financials, so break down the, the 15 by 40, 440, it's... 29.29 million. So it's the, mm-hmm. the AAV necessarily isn't the most terrifying thing in the world. The, the fact, but the fact is though, on the open market, some team's going to come after him for bigger than 30 million per year. They're not going to go up to 50, they're not going to go up to 15 years, but they're going to come bigger than the AAV than 30. Yeah. And I just don't know if the Cardinals are going to be a 38, 40 million dollar a year. You know, have that kind of salary on their roster considering they have Goldie and they have Arenado. They're just. It's just it's not reasonable with how the economics of of the team they've in the organization they've built. Uh, a couple they of prospects to trade for him. Yeah, I no, like that. they do have those. Uh, from the three one four Carlson, I don't get that at all. Four future Hall of Fame uh, type player, you should be willing to trade anyone not named Arenado and Goldsmith. But I forgot, Randy is just okay with being competitive, but the rest of us, we want to win the World Series. Yeah, Randy actually hates winning the World Series. He, yeah. he hopes the Cardinals never win one again. I do. Uh, <laughs> and maybe you haven't watched Dylan Carlson play. I don't know. Not everybody can watch all the games or pay really close attention to what this guy is on a trajectory to do. He's playing gold glove defense in center field. Yep. And he is, after a really good second half last year, ascending as an offensive player. Uh, and he's a switch hitter. He's a really good player to have on your team. I'm not so sure that you have Dylan Carlson pegged correctly there, sir, or ma'am. He's a good player. And that's why it's going to hurt. If you were to acquire a yep. player of Juan Soto's caliber, you need to give up a strong piece like Dylan Carlson to get in the mix. And here's and by the, the way, I did say that I would trade him. You did. It. You did. You did. He was in your mix, <laughs> yeah. too. He was in your group of guys. Uh, by the way, do I think that they should? Would I love if they did this? Because how fun would it be to have Juan Soto, mm-hmm. Arenado, and Goldie all hitting together at the same time? That'd be great. They still need pitching. Yeah, <laughs> they, that's still, the they still need pitching yeah, if they're going to win. We're just having fun with the concept. Oh, I know. But I just love how anytime there's a, a big name star out there that's available, Cardinals fans are going to be really mad if, if Mo doesn't go out and just empty, empty mm-hmm. the tank for somebody like Juan Soto. When the fact of the matter is, they still need pitching in the worst way. Yeah. 
Here's one that says Jordan Walker, Alec Burleson, Tyler O'Neill, and Yvonne Herrera, and maybe add Libertor to the mix. Ooh, I'm, I don't want to give up Walker. And then who's going to be your catcher next season? Kisner, the superfluous end. You don't need a, you know, catchers don't matter in the MLB anymore, apparently. He needs them to hit. Yep. My thought process here is, you know, the Cardinals. When they go and make the big move, when they go out and they, and they put you know the, the you know the prospects on the line, if we're talking about just for a hitter, not not pitching at all, just for a hitter, they usually do it to get that second guy. But this is an roster that's built for three huge contracts. When they when they needed somebody to protect Pujols, they went out and got Matt Holiday. They got Goldschmidt. They got Arenado. I just it's I think it's unreasonable to expect a, a third huge field player from from the Cardinals organization. That's just it's yeah. not being reasonable. And and listen, it's a great conversation to have. They probably could hit the crap out of the ball for a long time with him on the roster. But again, where's the pitching coming from? Yeah. How are you actually going to win that World Series if you can't get the pitchers in the building? And ultimately in in 2025, Juan Soto is going to be a Met. The Dodgers have been burned by those contracts. And by the way, they, they've given out $200 million contracts since Andrew Friedman got their two free agents. One was to Trevor Bauer. They kind of regret that. Yeah. And the other one's to Freddie Freeman, who was kind of sad that he left the place that he did. Kind of sad. Al- although he's hitting the daylights out of the ball and he's an all-star. So that's a he's good gr- thing. He's great, but, yeah, but kind of sad. Kind of sad. The guy was sobbing. Yeah. And then the Yankees will, uh, I, I think they'll have to move and maybe they make the trade. But before the judge situation comes to its conclusion, whether he stays or goes, the Yankees are going to have to do something either because they're going to have Stanton there. So it's either sign Aaron Judge or have Soto. I don't think they'll have both. And as Greg Amsinger pointed out a week or two ago, how are they going to get Otani? That's a great point. Don't the Yankees still want Otani? Yeah. So I, I really think the spot for Soto in the future is going to be the Mets. So that's why if you're going to... Go for it with Juan Soto. You better be sure he's going to be the piece that's mm-hmm. going to put you over the top and get you a World yep. Series. And the way this Cardinals team is constructed, Juan Soto is an amazing player awesome. and would certainly help this team. But they still got to get pitching. Yeah, that's so, the key. Yeah, your first deal, if you're the Cardinals, I, I'm glad they checked in. Yes, uh, of course. According to John Morosi. They should be checking in. But they should be checking in with everybody who has pitching, too. And I'm sure they are. And if you know that you've got the goods to go out and make a deal, of course you're going to call and see what it would take you. Yep, right. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, one of my favorite events of the year, the Home Run Derby, is tonight. And we're going to have our Home Run Derby draft. And Michelle and I are going to determine a winner for tomorrow. We're going to have our, our own teams, and we're going to draft them now on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We're going to have an MLB draft for tonight's Home Run Derby. Here are the seeds tonight at Dodger Stadium, and you'll hear the action here on 101 ESPN starting at 7. The number one seed is Kyle Schwarber. The number two seed, or he'll oppose the number eight seed, Albert Pujols. The number two seed, Pete Alonzo, the two-time defending champ, he'll oppose Ronald Acuna Jr. of the Atlanta Braves. Then you've got number three seed, Corey Seager, returning to Dodger Stadium. He, of course, plays for the Rangers. He'll go against Julio Rodriguez, the young sensation for the Seattle Mariners. And then you've got the four seed, Juan Soto of the Nationals. He takes on number five seed, Jose Ramirez of the Guardians. And Michelle and I are going to draft players, and then we'll determine which 
team has the most home runs after the Home Run Derby tonight. We're going to start by choosing our draft order, and we're going to do a snake draft, and Matthew Rocchio is going to flip the coin to determine who is going to pick first. Michelle, you get to choose heads or tails. I'm going to go with heads, gentlemen. All right, here we go. It in his heads. Okay. Just confirmation from Michelle over there. You see yep, Mr. Lincoln see. right yep, there? Yeah, we do things fairly here. I see it. Thank you very okay. much. Good. Okay. Uh, sh- do I wait for the chime? Thank you. With the number one overall pick in the Carriker and Smallman home run derby draft, Michelle Smallman selects... New York Mets slugger Pete Alonso. Oh, he's a big guy. He's a big guy. No one's had more home runs since his debut in 2019 since Pete Alonso. We know that he loves this event. He's addicted to hitting dingers. And, uh, Randy, during the break, I read a 10-step plan that Pete Alonso mm-hmm. unveiled to Jeff Passan over at ESPN.com on how he ends up winning this thing. And rule number one, hydrate like crazy. So I have no doubt that this morning Pete Alonso is downing the water in uh, preparation to take home the crown. And he's a really tough guy, so we know that he's going to bring that toughness oh, yeah. to the Derby tonight. Yeah, because if he's unhappy, he'll put some people in the hospital. That's right. Don't want to mess with him. Yeah, no doubt about that. All right. With the second pick in the Carriker and Smallman Home Run Derby draft, Carriker selects the number one seed, Kyle Schwarber of the Philadelphia Phillies. Leading the league in homers. Good 28 pick. home runs at the break. So, uh, yeah, Schwaber, as he's affectionately known in these parts, uh, will be my number one pick. And then my number two pick with Pete Alonso off the board. He could hurt some people. <laughs> uh, Michelle, I am going to go kind of uh, off base here a little bit, as it were. I'm going to take uh, Seeger of the uh, Texas Rangers, Corey Seeger. Okay. All right. It might be hometown cooking, but give me the guy with 685 career no home runs, way. the best right-handed hitter we've no ever way. seen. Give me number five, Albert Pujols. Unbelievable, unbelievable. Would she you not? Alonso. Would you really truly be surprised if Albert beats Kyle Schwarber in round one? Yes, I will not be surprised. I will not be no. surprised either. No. Absolutely not. Plus, I want somebody to cheer for, and I can't really cheer for Pete Alonso, so I want to cheer for Albert Pujols, <laughs> okay? Poles, okay? All right. That might be my thought process here. So, snake draft, back to me, right? Yep. Okay, uh, my next pick, then, is going to be future Cardinal Juan Soto. <laughs> oh, I like it. <laughs> Juan Soto of the Washington Nationals for the moment. Yeah, right now he plays for Washington. Future Cardinal Juan Soto is my next pick. <laughs> okay, well done. Uh, With his third selection in the MLB Home Run Derby draft, Carriker selects Ronald Acuna, Atlanta Braves. Why? Because he's there. (laughs) And then with my fourth and final choice, (laughs) I'm going to go with uh, the the young sensation. Rather than Jose Ramirez, I'm going to go with Julio Rodriguez of the Seattle Mariners. I wanted the rookie. I wanted him bad. But I guess then that leaves me with Jose Ramirez. Yeah, he'll probably win. Probably. <laughs> the, yeah. the, that's always how it is, right? The mm-hmm. person that's not picked for kickball and recess ends up being the one to smash in a ball. Unless for... Charles Barkley is on the playground. <laughs> you know, it goes with the first pick. Yeah, yeah. And then that team wins. So uh, Michelle's team is Pete Alonso, Albert, Juan Soto, and Jose Ramirez. Randy's team is Qu- Kyle Schwarber. Uh, Corey Seager, Ronald Acuna, and Julio Rodriguez. 
All right, this will be fun. See, this gives us a rooting interest tonight in the Home Run Derby. And whoever loses has to spin the wheel. Yes, we will spin the wheel tomorrow. Looking forward to it. Uh, we have a balloon party coming up. T-Mac and Ajax for you here on 101 ESPN. Great job today by our producer engineer, the only, the one, the only, Matthew Rockio. Thank you, Matthew. Pleasure. And, Michelle, this was fun for a Monday, right? This was, was a great Monday show. Day. Yeah, it was. Yeah. But I'll see you tomorrow. Can't wait to uh, rub it in your face when I win this home run derby Second draft. year in a row. Yeah, let's see if that happens. <laughs> uh, for all of us, we thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. Till tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, BetOnline for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. Hey, hon, what you doing with your phone? Do flowers have best friends? I don't know. Hey, look. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council.